Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Welcome back, guys. We're back for a very special episode of Box Office Bingers. Not only is it a creator spotlight of Robert Zemeckis, but we have the great and powerful Eric Burris. Sir, thank oh my you so- gosh. <laughs> This is feel like this is we've been trying to get you on here for so long, and I'm just glad we finally it, made it, this happen. It felt like at least a year, right, to get yeah. him onto this show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to to be honest and fair, though, like we had it scheduled, and then I went under the knife, and I thought it was going to be an opportunity to sit back, relax, and watch movies for you know a couple of weeks and what ended up happening is i could sit back relax and barely keep my eyes open because i was having you know 150 calories a day so that backfired yeah my yeah. bad but i'm glad That's to a, no. finally be here with you gentlemen yes you're here for a very special episode and as uh, uh, uh eric when we were talking about look we really want to have you on the show but what are we going to do because you're not like you're not the guy that goes through our typical format of like watching the newest releases but we do have great conversations when we talk about some of the old stuff and so we had a great conversation about back to the future and robert zemeckis so we figured like this this is it this is the moment we're gonna have eric burris on our show (laughs) (laughs) well and to be honest i used to i used to be the guy that went to as many movies as i possibly could but then you know you find yourself with a couple of kids and every free waking moment is doing the dishes and picking up the toys and then going to get the kids. So, I mean, before the pandemic, I couldn't even tell you the last time I was in a movie theater. And it certainly isn't by choice. It's because uh, I'm just trying to be the best parent I can. But I can assure you, once my kids get to that age again, or uh, not again, but when they finally get to that age where like they can enjoy movies, then you better believe that I will be back, baby, back eating the popcorn, (laughs) watching the movies, doing the whole thing. I will tell you that is a that is a great experience when you, at least for me, like taking my kids to to the first time for like the first time in the theater with the popcorn, seeing the big screen. Uh, It was Uh a it, it was a big deal. Like we saw, I think I took him to see. The Ninja Turtles movie when they when they redid it a couple yeah. years ago. Even so, movie's not that great, but the experience <laughs> that we had, like going yeah. to the movies, made it a better movie than what it was. I'm excited about that moment. But until then, yes, I, I can chat about all the oldies and, and, and goodies that I have seen in my heyday. Oh. <laughs> well, and and that's exactly what we're doing. As Ernesto, as you know, Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies of Same. all time. So I am ecstatic yes. that we are going to be talking about this movie today and kind of doing a deep dive. Or not, so we haven't done one of these creator spotlights all year. And I so I was 
I'm happy that we're able to do one this year before the year closes. And I'm also happy that we're doing it on Robert Zemeckis. If you haven't heard of that name before, what are you doing? Have you not seen like classic movies? Yeah. Who, are you? <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Seriously. Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, Forrest Gump. And, and, and more importantly today, we're going to be talking about Back to the Future. We're going to be talking about Forrest Gump. And we're also going to be talking about how did he get to those movies and kind of his life's work. Uh, and that's what we love about these creative spotlights. We actually get to do a deep dive on, you know, the kind of creative side of these directors. And then we're all done with that. We're going to be talking to you, Eric Burris, about your career in meteorology and working with graphics and, and your show on, uh, on Facebook with Coffee Talk. So, yeah, we're ready to dive into all that so i hope you're ready eric because this, this is gonna be I, one hell of a show as long as everybody knows that my body of work is significantly less influential than than <laughs> bobby zemeckis's body but as long as everybody's you know we have to set the expectation super low because when you talk about robert when you i mean just just back to the future alone is incredible then you could say all right then let's add forrest gump and and your mind should be blown but when you think about what, you know, you mentioned Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that is a, ma- each one of those are true oh, yeah. artistic masterpiece, just top to bottom. F- I, you know, not, no, no film is flawless, but these are truly as close to flawless as can be, top to bottom, left to right. Find mm-hmm. me some, find, I mean, truthfully, find me somebody, I mean, you can put in names, of course, but, but. Find somebody that rivals him, and you will be among the best in the business. Oh my God, yes, uh, I couldn't agree more. And you know, and I'll talk about this one when we talk about Back to the Future. But like, Back to the Future was the movie that got me interested in films. It wasn't until I saw that movie I'm like, what is this movie, and how can I learn yeah. more about it? And then that got me, that yeah. led me to watching more movies like from him. And then like you discover other filmmakers, and then you just go down that rabbit hole. And it's it's fantastic. Um, so let's get started. So here's here's a like a, a history on Robert Zemeckis. And again, Eric and Ernesto, if you find anything uh, interesting, feel free to shout out and uh, and stop me on my track. So here we go. Uh, Robert Lee Zemeckis was born on May 14, 1951. He was an American film director, producer. Oh, is he is an American film director, producer, screenwriter, and often called or credited as an innovator of in visual effects. Robert was born. Born in Chicago, raised by his father, who was a Lithuanian-American, and his mother, who was an Italian-American, uh, and I'll explain why that's important a little bit later into the show. As a child, Zemeckis was fascinated by his parents' 8mm film uh, home movie camera, in which he used for birthdays, holidays, and eventually his own narrative films he made with his friends that even sometimes incorporated stop motion and other special effects i can only imagine the patience that he had that he had to endure for stop motion (laughs) to do stop motion uh zemeckis also loved television and watched tv all of the time uh, and gave his first tv gave him his first glimpse in the world of outside of his blue collar upbringing specifically when he learned of an existence of film schools on an episode of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. After seeing Bunny and Clyde with his father and being heavily influenced by it, Zemeckis decided that he wanted to go into film school. His parents, however, disapproved of this idea, saying, you can't be a movie director, don't you see where you come from? Being concerned of what the rest of his friends and family might think of their son following this impossible dream. Zemeckis later said that despite what his parents advised, he felt like it was something he had to do. 
uh, and I, I think we can all kind of agree that when there is something of a passion that you have in you at, at any age, like nothing's going to stop you from going along that passion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it fuel, so I it, mean, it fuels your fire. Oh, no, absolutely. I was just going to say, I mean, if you think about it, to get anywhere in life, right, you have to fight that fight. And so, especially in film, especially, I mean, seriously, you know, there's no business like show business. And, and to mm -hmm. get to that, you have to have a million rejections and a million hurdles. So to have that passion and still be able to get through says not only do you have the passion, but you've got the drive, too. And I would imagine that being a child of immigrants probably significantly played into that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and and even as I continue along with his bio, you should you, you talk about like failure after failure. This guy <laughs> before Back to the Future, which I'm about to get into, that is a lot of what happened. So in nineteen sixty nine, Zemeckis first attended Northern Illinois University, uh, and gained early experience in film as a film cutter for NBC News in Chicago during a summer break, as well as edit commercials for um, in his home state. Zemeckis then applied uh, then applied to transfer for the University of Southern California School of Cinema Arts in L.A. But when he found out that he was rejected for having average grades, get this, he called the university himself and gave an impassionate plea to the officials on the other line, promising to go to summer school to improve his studies and eventually convinced the school to accept him over basically this, this plea. <laughs> Uh, the seventies, you can't, you can't do that. That was back in the seventies. Can you imagine? I don't know if you can do that today. No. Like just kind of call up a school and be like, Hey, can you, can you please get me to your university? Yeah. Because I promise everything seems so I, I, I can, now. I, I can, yes. I could say I, I had an opportunity to be in an internship program in high school and they did not accept me because I didn't have a 4.0 GPA. To which hmm. I kind of – I did something similar. I'm not going to say that I'm Robert Zemeckis, but I didn't hmm. accept no for an answer. And I basically said, uh, we're going to bust this door down. And, and I fought and fought, and you both know I'm a real pain in the neck if I want something. And, oh, yeah. and that's the truth. And and so <laughs> I, I it was not a college. It was high school guidance counselor, and eventually I wore her down to the point where, <laughs> fine, go. But, you know – you can do it in certain areas. I don't think you could do it to get into college at this point. Yeah. <laughs> no. But you also, know? like, again, the drive that he had, even, again, going back to young age, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to, like, not listen to my parents and go for it. And, like, I'm yeah. so committed to this idea. I'm going to try to convince the university that, I, like, you're going to believe in me as much as I believe in myself. And I'm going to try to convince you of that. And um, good on them so for accepting that. Yeah. Absolutely, because I bet now they're like looking at like, oh my god, look, we we rejected this man <laughs> <laughs> from his credits that he's having today. Uh, so upon arriving to USC that fall, Zemeckis uh, met a fellow student, a writer by the name of Bob Gale, who and instantly bond with both having a passion to make Hollywood movies. Before graduating USC in 1973, Zemeckis would win the Student Academy Award for his film. A field of honor that he co-wrote with Bob Gale and grabbed the attention of none other than the one and only Steven Spielberg. 
Spielberg then later recalled saying that Zemeckis barged right past the, my secretary and sat me down and showed me this student film. And I thought it was spectacular with police cars and a riot all dubbed with uh, uh, Elmer's Bernstein score for The Great Escape. Uh, Spielberg would then beca- would become Zemeckis' mentor and executive producer for his first two films, which was I Want to Hold Your Hand in 1978 and Used Cars in 1980, both which Gale and Zemeckis both co-wrote. Now, even though those films were well-received critically, they were commercial failures. And with the box office bomb that was 19... 19- uh, the box office bomb that was 1941, directed by Steven Spielberg and co-written by Zemeckis and Gale, the pair gained the reputation for writing scripts that everyone thought were great, but somehow didn't translate into movies people actually wanted to see. As a result of his representation within the industry, Zemeckis had trouble finding work in the early 90s. Though he and Gale kept busy writing scripts for other directors, none of them were able to get made. Uh, They also ended up writing a little script called, you know, Back to the Future, in which (laughs) after pitching to around every, uh, after pitching around Hollywood, it got turned down by every major studio. So Zemeckis was jobless and for a while until, uh, for a while, until actor producer Michael Douglas actually sought out for him to be in his new movie um, called, uh, uh, hired him uh, in 1984 to direct Romancing the Stone. He thought he'd be a good director for that. Uh, So he got hired on to direct that movie. It was there where he met composer Alan Silvestri. Eric, I'm sure that name sounds very familiar to you. Oh, it does. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, Silvestri would actually go on to be a longtime collaborator with Zemeckis, composing almost every one of his films. I think he just might have missed one out of his lifelong career. Um, So now... Uh, where is it? Now, this might sound like a good news for Zemeckis finally get a chance to direct a film again, but after producers viewed the rough cut of the film, they considered the movie to be a flop and actually fired him as a director, but still received credit for directing the movie. So they're like, you know what? This movie's not going to do great at all, so we're just going to fire you now. But, you know, you directed it, so we're still going to give you credit for it. Well, joke's on them, the film actually being a sleeper hit, and with that success... Uh, Zemeckis was given the opportunity to work on whichever film he wanted to do next. So naturally, he decided that his next project would work that he would work on would be the film that was rejected by uh, across all of Hollywood. That film was none other than 1985 classic Back to the Future. So there you go. Now we're going to be talking about Back to the Future. Eric, we'll start with you. What are your like big points? What are your like greatest memories? What do you love about Back to the Future? <laughs> so growing up. I was just dialed into this movie. I mean, it was the VHS days, and my parents didn't have a ton of money. Somehow, I saw this in 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 you know Circuit City or whatever store it was, and we got our hands on it. And I, from the first time I saw it, I I went straight from Disney movies to the Back to the Future tree, um, uh, trilogy. And and if I tell you that we destroyed this VHS. Because I watched it over and over and over again. And while I I never wanted to get into filmmaking per se, this, like you, was the movie that got me turned into just what you could do, what magic you could make with a camera. And uh, watching this over and over again, it gave me the love of, of music, which you know I can credit certainly to Alan Silvestri. But just this, this idea of... Sp- 
space and time and, and, and ripping and splicing and, and telling a story in such a way that it's just, I mean, I think Back to the Future is a masterpiece. I, I really do. I think that most of what uh, Robert Smekis has done is, but but certainly Back to the Future to me is an untouchable masterpiece. I just rewatched the first one this morning while I was working on, um, you know, doing some forecasting, and I'm reminded how darn good it is every single time I watch it, corner to corner. Per, I mean, it's just a masterpiece. Eric, I'm sorry, uh, Ernesto? <laughs> Is that going to be hard for you this whole time? <laughs> yeah, I hope not. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I mean, this movie was like one of my first one of my first movies out of kid movies to like to really take on. And I, I loved every minute of it. For me, it was for mainly the music, but also the, the storytelling and just the way they store the, the way they told the story, all the foreshadowing, they all the foreshadowing that's put into the film. I mean, even like all the like the little things like. The mall, the name of the mall, Twin Pines yeah. Mall, and then he knocks over the tree, and at the end of the movie, it becomes Lone Pine Mall. Like, like stupid little stuff like that. It's like, oh damn, oh you you did it again, you got me again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like how, and just the whole, I mean, the whole idea of like, like you said, time space, and but also like cause and effect. Like, what is yes. this one little point in your life? How is that going to affect? What is the domino effect of that? And then we we literally see. We see that we obviously see that play out when he goes to save uh, when he goes to save uh, George McFly, and then that pin falls into his mom falling in love with her son. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but what are the odds that 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 car crash that was supposed to be his dad in the road was the exact same day that Doc Brown also discovered time travel through the flux capacitor? You know, like what are the odds that all of this happened the same day? I mean, that's the that's to me that's the only problem I had was. Hey, that car accident happened the same day that Doc happened to discover the flux capacitor. Every other detail, as you mentioned, though, from the Lone Pine to the Twin Pines to to the space creature. I mean, oh my gosh! You're absolutely right. Yeah, I never. I guess I never really. I never really thought about it. I guess because I loved it so much. Like, yeah, that's like. But he. I mean, he's right. <laughs> he makes a very valid <laughs> that's, point. That's the tiny, only problem. <laughs> tiny details. Tiny details. Like, you know what? Crazier <laughs> shit has happened. Like, uh, as Ernesto would always say to me, is like, you're fixated on that, but you're you're okay yeah. with there's a time machine out there. Like that. Right. That makes sense to you. The time machine it's makes like sense the, to you. But the game but of Thrones fans. <laughs> <laughs> the Game of Thrones fans with the Starbucks cup, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I remember – so it's funny. It was it was shortly after my birthday, and I got like a crisp $20 bill. I'm like, this this is gold, man. I have a whole bunch of money on me. Especially as a kid. Uh, and, <laughs> as a kid, yeah. yeah, I got a $20 bill. And so like I was going through – like what am I going to spend this on? And I was at a Walmart, and I was walking through the movie aisle. And I, and I asked my mom. I was like, what is this movie? What is this Back to the Future? I've never seen it, never heard of it. And I said, is this good? And she goes – yeah, no, it's all right. And I'm like, okay. And the only reason why I I, I bought the movie, so I'm like, mom, you get three movies in one. That's a steal. <laughs> like all other all new releases were like twenty dollars one movie. I'm like, there's three movies in this thing. Yeah. What the? This is a steal. It's all for twenty dollars. Like this. This is it. That's this is my. That's the one time in life when being cheap really pays <laughs> off. Yeah, exactly. I was, like, I was like, why am I gonna settle for one movie for twenty when I can get three of them? <laughs> And so, like, I was like, I don't know what this movie's about. Like, there's a kid in it. This is Back to the Future. I was like, whatever. And I remember putting it on for the first time, and it was a, like a maybe like a Sunday night, and I was yeah. absolutely blown away by everything I was watching. And like, I think that that movie was the first time I was like introduced to like real tension, 
because there were so many things going wrong, especially toward the end, where it's like, come on, Marty, just go back to 1985. What are you doing? <laughs> stupid lightning, stupid car, work. All you got to do is go 88 miles an hour. And I'm literally yelling at the TV on this. And then I was so excited after that. And, like, you see, uh, you know, roads where we're going. We don't need roads. And he's going into, like, I'm like, where we got to go save his kids? Yeah, we got to start the next one. What are we doing right now? And so I remember watching the second movie being absolutely excited through and through and then of course again i was a kid it was sunday night it was bed it was like it was my bedtime so i know i was able to watch two but not the three i when i tell you that when the second movie ended and it said to be uh, continued i was like oh my god no Mom? correction Mom? I, <laughs> correction it said you're to right. be concluded concluded yes you're That's absolutely right, right. Yes, it did say to be concluded. And I was like, Mom, I got to stay up. And she's like, you got to go to bed. And I was like, no, but it, no, but Marty, though, like, we, he just got, Doc just went to 1885. He's in the Old West. We got to know what happens to him. <laughs> and so I lit, like, all day at school, I'm just there like, oh, man, I really got to finish this movie. <laughs> like, I got to finish this. I was so stressed. I was like, I was like, oh my god, this, this, like, what is he okay in the old west? Like, like and, how, is, how is Marty gonna get to the old west? Like, he found Doc, and like, I was so stressed out the whole day. I immediately went home and like, screw homework, screw everything else. I went back and finished that movie, and and from that moment on, I have watched that trilogy. I, I don't know how many times I've watched it in a single sitting, all three movies, yeah. and. Megan can attest to you uh, that when we first started dating, I made her sat, I sat her down, and we watched all three movies at all in the same Ooh. day, and I'm yeah. sure she loved it. And then yeah, on top of that, she got, <laughs> and then on top of that, when the the 30th anniversary and they re-released all the movies in theaters, yeah, she was with me watching all three movies yep. in the theater <laughs> again. <laughs> because and why so, not? And she, because why not? And and I and it's funny because I always said I w- we'll just watch the first one, and then like the movie was over, and I was like, well, let me just get to the part where he says like when they get to the future in 2015, because uh, that was like the big moment, like uh, like uh, what was it 4:14 when he actually said the date, and that was the yes. date of like it was October 21st 2015 at 4:14 p.m. And yes, I remember like okay, let's get to that point, and you know, and then I'm good, and then like we watched the whole second movie, and then <laughs> she looks <laughs> over. <laughs> And she was like, well, we made it this far. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. You know how this goes. <laughs> so, one more time. So question for you guys. Well, Eric, we'll start with you. Which out of the okay. trilogy, which one is your favorite? It's funny. As as Matt was talking, that's what I kept thinking to myself was <laughs> that's got we've got to bring that up, right? So I I actually can't answer that. And this is such a cop out and you can make fun of me. But but follow oh, me I on will. the journey, okay? <laughs> okay. The first movie, the first movie. And I feel similar in like a Star Wars world as well. Like the first movie builds on this idea that you'd never imagined and it sets this story up in a way you never could have imagined. So I have to say the first one is just blows my mind. But in, in, in such a similar way, the way that they visualize the future to me makes the second one almost identically powerful because mm. – you know, it's easy to go to the Wild West to me. I mean, and, and I think that the story is unbelievable the way they did. It's great. But the way to go to the future is just as impactful as the way that they developed all of the characters. 
and then this idea of an alternate reality it's like holy crap man like and and sure it makes sense because that's adding to this idea of erasing history well let's just screw with it and see what happens and so i feel like i feel like one is incredible and i feel like two is just as good but then again three is not even any worse it's like god man yeah <sighs> it, 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 it always- brings a strong case <laughs> So it's so funny, I didn't uh, answer your question, <laughs> but so, I feel like but I feel like I got my answer without you telling me the answer. <laughs> so I could run so into as a politician one day then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you fit right in. <laughs> so I'm actually in a similar boat to Eric, and but as as I was growing up, I always felt like two was my def- like I think I've watched two more than any of the other yeah. two, and because of that same reason, Eric, is that. Like the idea that we not only went to the future, seeing something that is, you know, before our time and seeing that example of it, the fact that like what's great about this trilogy is that it always centers for the most part around Hill Valley. And so like you're seeing it change throughout history. And so when they when they came back from the future and you came back to an alternate 1985 and you see Doc kind of explaining everything and I'm like this man's a genius I, I've never I never heard of time described he, he invents as time travel but when he goes to the chalkboard that's when you realize he's a genius yes that, that, at that point I, I get it now like and the way that and every movie had it is like his diagrams like hey this is how the rest of the movie's gonna go and I'm literally glued to my seat I'm like go on Doc Brown tell me how the rest of the movie's gonna go I'm waiting for it <laughs> And and so like it's it's just done so well that like, because like it sets off like this is what's supposed to happen, but yeah. you know toward the end it's exactly I mean it, it's similar but not exactly the way that it goes to plan. And so the fact that they went to the future, went back to an alternate 1985, and then like <laughs> it's so funny he's like Doc's like you never guess where we're gonna have to go where back to 1955 like you're kidding. And I was like <laughs> talk about the coincidence there. And then even there was even a moment where. Doc Brown was like, "Is this point in history like a like? I forgot exactly what he was like, uh, uh, blabbering like about. Point or I don't know. It yeah, it's, it's like, like where everything changes. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, is this like the the like the center part of uh, physical history that we keep going back to this point? And he's like, I don't know. Never mind. Moving on to the next to the next adventure. And uh, but yeah, it I think shows really the eccentric cool. nature of his brain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's really cool that we went back to 1955 and we were literally seeing. Those scenes that we saw in the first movie play out again, but under from a different perspective. And the crazy thing about all of that, because I've seen many documentaries about Back to the Future, was that when they when they when they made Back to the Future one, they never intended to make Back to the Future two or three. It wasn't because of the success that they um, that they even uh, entertained the thought of a sequel. So. A lot of people thought that they had this idea, and so they filmed some of these scenes back to back. But they had to recreate all of those scenes again from the well, first Back to the Future. So, so the again, you know, I I have such this analytical brain that Back to the Future Two, I always got a kick out of hearing those reshot scenes vocalized subtly different. Am I the only one that ever picked out on? You know, hey, you get your damn hands off her being just a little different in Back to the Future 2 when you're hearing it from that different angle. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm sure you're right. I just I don't think I've ever know. I don't think I ever noticed that. I don't think I've ever. It's noticed like a that. different punch to... on a different syllable, you know? Yeah. Syllable. <laughs> 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 I see what you did there. <laughs> 
But I, I think it's it's kind of like a, a crazy concept to be thinking about for a sequel. Like it definitely goes bigger than the original Back to the Future for Back to the Future Two, uh, and and for some audiences that could be hard to follow. But I think that the way that the movie is designed, like it's it's very simple to follow. Um, like him going from the future to a different eighty five to to the same point of fifty five, but under a different perspective. Like this is a cooler Marty, not the one that was nerd over in the first movie, and um, right. and so like you're, you're trying to figure all this out. But at least back to the first movie. I feel like it's uh, – and the reason why I, I think that it's so beloved and it considered as a classic is because who doesn't relate to going back in time to seeing how your parents were when they were kids? Yeah. I, I feel like that is – like for me, that's the one point that I feel like that that's – anyone can relate to that. Uh, and like and, – and all the hilarities and ensues that happen when he does go back in time to see his parents kind of like – my dad was like this. Like, I, I, you know, my mom was the one, like, she keeps telling me not to do drugs and smoke, and then yet she's There's doing all so this stuff anyway. There's so much focus on that. Like, right down to the girls calling boys. You know, when I was a, when I was younger, I never called a boy. And two seconds into 1955, and you see how forward she was. It's, it's, exactly. they go yeah. out of their way to just circle it on the paper. You know, they really did a great job of doing that. Well, I think it's a, it's it's crazy because as you know, you even being a kid, like you look at your parents in such this like this idolized light. Like imagine being able to see them grow up and do all the right. crazy shit that you did when you were when you were growing up. Like <laughs> just that to, to being able to actually see them go through you know all the stuff that you went through or very well, similar. Well, what about? How they showed the story, and, and it's fresh because I was just watching it this morning, but right into Marty's in 1955, and he still thinks it's a dream, and he sits down in the cafe, and the way that they shot it, he's yes. sitting there leaning over on one arm, and then the camera takes another shot when when Biff walks in and says, hey, McFly, and, and it shows him and his dad sitting in the exact same spot, turning in the exact same way. I mean, just... Mm-hmm. The way that they bring you into the secret and into the mystery is so it, – it, it also shows you know, the role of a DP and how, how that plays so deeply into storytelling. Absolutely. Just, uh, just in, in able to take a great story and enhance it to the next level, like mm-hmm. using the cinematography as part of the storytelling element. Yeah. And and like it's just attention to detail, even if you go all the way back to the beginning of the movie, there's so many clocks that are showcasing like without it, like, you know, <clears throat> and like if you listen to the to the to what the anchor is saying in the in the um, in the in the news, was it the well, I'm drawing a blank in the newscast um, or was it a radio? I'm not sure if it was a TV or a radio. It was, it was, a, it was a newscast. Like, yeah, it was a newscast. OK, um, she was explaining the events of how like it put, almost as like a prologue if you were listening close mm-hmm. enough yeah. it was like how how do we get here and then we realized that like oh the plutonium that she was just talking about it's underneath his bed don't worry about that right <laughs> right right right, right. That is. <laughs> <laughs> but also like there was like a figure of a man falling off of a clock tower it was like all these great things and then also we get a, a glimpse into the world of doc brown of like this inventor and he has these weird inventions and these creations and like the like we literally end with dog food being splattered at at like where the dog we don't know what the dog is. He's not eating it, obviously. Um, and then you have this kid who's just there to play guitar. It's like it's such a weird mm-hmm. beginning of a movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like a kid being a kid. And like, and between that and like we're saying, like if you listen to basically everything that their parents were saying in 1985, you can tell your dad he his father wasn't confident. Like you can see that his his mother wasn't really happy within the marriage, but she's kind of you can tell she's just settled. 
she settled into this life and um like even like uh your uncle got parole again just throws the people or or he he didn't get parole or he and throws he didn't the cake get, down and throws mm-hmm. the cake and then like it goes back to uh so you're my uncle joey get used to these bars yeah. kid yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, or so or, like, or her parents in 1955, you know, Lorraine, you ever raise a kid like this, I'll disown you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but there's also like a great attention to detail. Like I remember in back to uh, some of the scenes where uh, Marty McFly's Alfred was was different. It was more like contemporary, trying to like blend into 1955. So like they made the outfit more, you know. Like it's normal, but then later while filming, they realized that like, wait a minute, this is a fish out of water story. So let, let's make him as if he was dressing in 1985, and people kind of making fun of him for dressing that way, and that just adds to the authenticity of into the story, like yeah. gave it the more realism that it, that it needs. And then of course, you know, you know, a, a, a kid kind of fumbling with like, oh my, my mom has the hots for me. Like that's just <laughs> it's a, it's a weird notion, and like on paper is like, Dude, what are we gonna do with this kid and his mother like this? Yeah. This is not a good idea. You where know? are we taking? Where are we <laughs> ending the story? <laughs> and like, but I, but it, also, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, but but the fact that they can repeat that during all three movies to some right. extent, you know, That's like right. the, the waking up part where you know, mom, you're you're huge, or mom, yeah. mom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um and, and like you look so huge and and and, and young <laughs> you're so young and young and you're yeah. not <laughs> and you're so thin <laughs> thin yeah you're so thin um yeah and then also just like I wonder if if you know Marty ever like I bet he he sees his dad in a different light now obviously because like he sees how he was when he was growing up and it's just weird to the notion of like where, what were they like when they were you know in, in that in that yeah. type of environment um but yeah it, it's just like it's 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 so universally you know understandable and then also again the special effects that holds up today as, as if any other day yeah yep surprisingly back in you know this movie's made in 85 and there's just some movies that like either they had the money for or they were just really damn clever with how they made these scenes that it does it holds up like you see some movies back in that same time you're like oof how how did yeah (laughs) that didn't hold up well and i don't remember if it was a documentary or if it was an article i read i mean you know like you both i've nerded out on this movie just my entire life but i was reading where they had to cut the budget so significantly that they made a lot of changes to the scripts but it yeah. did allow them to at least keep the effect because if you think about it the only true visual effects are when the delorean is exploding through time right so mm-hmm. there are only a few scenes that need to be done and at one point i where they had a, I don't remember what it was, but there was this huge visual effect that they had budgeted for, but they needed to cut the budget and it, you know, and they were able to cut it out. But yeah, just, you know, the, the, the lines of fire. I mean, when you think about it, it is a very simple effect, but the lightning explosion and I mean that it does, it holds up. Uh, well, Eric, the scene that you're referring to, because I actually have a couple of notes here on what the film was supposed to be, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. So the film originally was supposed to be ending at a, a, an atomic bomb testing site. Where right. I think they were the nuclear reaction from the atomic bomb was going to be enough for him to go back in time, back to the future. <laughs> and at the time, it, the time machine was supposed to be a refrigerator. He was supposed to right. walk into a refrigerator and go back in time. Now, it's funny because as they were like rereading the script and literally a couple of days before or maybe weeks or months before filming, Zemeckis was reading through the script and was like, this fridge is not practical at all. Like This doesn't make any <laughs> sense. So they changed 
changed it to a car and they also changed it to and they also chose the DeLorean because it was the most futuristic car in the market right now that didn't have to spend more money on trying to develop a brand new concept yeah. for and the only reason why they cut out that scene the atomic bomb so they they switched it from a refrigerator to a car but they kept the atomic uh bomb testing site scene um but the only reason why they cut that part out was because uh a budget cuts they were getting close to their 19 million dollar budget so they said to axe it and for me personally that's what makes the movie like like yeah. not the like cut, cutting that scene out and bringing it back to because then they had the idea of like well, we're already building this 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 town this hill valley why don't we keep it in here and maybe like connect it to like a clock tower and then the striking and all that stuff and like yeah. to me and then also going back into 1985 and writing that into the script with the lady saying save the clock tower and like it, like installing that idea for him to receive that note and put it in his pocket to then be the idea yeah. in 1955 to pull that same thing out of his pocket like such well done writing and like you know like but it played in so, i mean the first scene that you see them building the clock tower in 1885 mm-hmm. that is like reality slamming you in the head <laughs> Yeah. And 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 it may that clock tower is as much a part of that story as the DeLorean is. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. The the fact that that is it's it's weird that throughout all these three movies that that is a character. The Hill Valley is its own character. These town of yeah. characters and the fact that a history going back to the third film uh, that that line of family history can go back as far as 1885. Uh, uh, and you can see, like, these are my great, 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 great grandparents that never left the city of Hill Valley. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, and it's just crazy. And it's like, I thought it was uh, really interesting that um, that Bob Gale came up with the idea after he was visiting his parents and he was going through the garage and found an old yearbook of his dad. And he found out that his dad was a valedictorian, I believe, or like the head of or top of his class or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And he realized that's like, I never knew that about my dad. What else? do I not know about him? Yeah. And, and then that nostalgia, you know, he's, he, he talked to that Bob Gale spoke with that, with Robert Zemeckis. And then obviously came up with the idea of like, okay, here's, you know, well, that's, that's a good idea. Let's, let's expand on that. And like, what if it was a, what if it was your parents? What if it was this? And then also like the bully Biff, like, you know, having that transcend through time, like Biff, the line of tannins were always bullies. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. Um, the uh, what was the other part that's in there? So when when another fun fact is that when uh, Universal was finally making the movie, when it was finally over at Universal, they had the studio has had a lot of notes uh, for it, and they said that the ending didn't make much sense. Like after he returned to 1985, he was going to return to a future uh, a very future futuristic 1985 like the whole thing was altered that was in the original script and apparently it was supposed to echo the 1939 world's fair and how the designs were on that mm-hmm. and and the ult and the studio's heads like that's way too much let's like that doesn't make any sense of why he would do all that and then return to like a di- completely different future so they actually recommended for them to be more contemporary and really only affect little things and as we know from the movie today it only affected like his parents wealth i guess but it was such but an it effective also, ending. Sorry? If you looked, the house was, you know, if you figure the house, that, that neighborhood was built in 1955, right? We can imagine that because we saw the Lion Estates was just starting mm-hmm. at the beginning of 1955. And at the beginning of 1985, when you see it, it's kind of, it's a 30-year-old home, right? But at the right. very end of the first movie, 
It may be a 30-year-old home, but it is completely updated because of his parents' success. And so I love how effective it is because not only are his parents now successful, they're still in that same house because it's a character, but they've had the ability to now update it. The lighting is brighter. It's not that darker, Mm. kind of dreary outlook of life. It has become this optimistic thing because of the change that happened. So by doing, as, as Ernesto, as you had said, by making just the subtle changes, it really had that effect, keeping it so much more realistic. Absolutely. And you also had, like, I mean, ultimately, it was the punching Biff. That was that was the turning point of pretty much the whole life. Like, he was able to, like, yeah, he still got the girl at the end of the day, but he got it under different pretenses, I guess with more confidence. And because he was able to get that confidence throughout his life, he was able to do the things he always wanted to do, which which in, in 1955, he learned that his father always wanted to write space novels. But he never had the confidence to publish the book or put it out there, and he always just kept it in his journals. And because of that, he was. And then he became, you know, maybe, I'm assuming a, success, a successful writer, and that's how right. they were able to to gain, you know, the, the, the wealth that they have. Um, along other lines to what the studio wanted, apparently at one point uh, the name uh, for Doc was going to be Professor Brown. Like that was going to be like the thing they referred to. The studio didn't like that, so then they changed the Doc Brown, which makes way better. (laughs) Glad they did that. (laughs) Glad they did that. You know, Uh, but you bring it up, and it's kind of an interesting thing. This movie, out of any movie that I've ever kind of looked into, this movie uniquely, studio involvement really helped make the movie better. Yes, because you know the refrigerator, they saved that for Bill and Ted and turned that into a you know into a phone booth. (laughs) Right, you know, right. Which is so perfect for that, not for this. The ending scene, perfect. Like Doc Brown and everybody always made fun of him. Doc, you know, from from Strickland, the principal, you know, making fun of the so-called Dr. Emmett Brown is danger. You know, just making right. fun of that. You couldn't have made fun if he was a professor because he either is or isn't, right? You know? Right, and then, right. And yeah. then there's the whole Eric Stoltz thing, too. Yes, I, I was about to mention that, but you're absolutely oh, okay, right. Sorry. No, 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 no. Go right ahead. If you know it, go ahead. If you, how much do well, you know just, about it? They, as as far as I understand, they cast somebody else because uh, Michael J. Fox was busy. Uh, was it? Is it Family, Family Ties? Ties? Family yep. Ties. So they couldn't get him, and so the studio insisted we go this direction. And when right when Bob Gale and 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 Zemeckis want, they said if you try Eric Stoltz, and if he doesn't work out, then we can then we can fire him and 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 make a change. And like what? Absolutely, you're gonna make a change. <laughs> <laughs> but they so did, they, they except for working. one scene. What which scene was that? Do you know it? Do you know what it, it was is? the punch, right? It was the punch. So that's that's so funny. You said that is such a, a controversial scene because <laughs> people swear by it. Like, no, we reshot that. And then uh, um, uh, Tom Wilson, who played Biff Ten, he's like, I don't remember ever reshooting that scene. <laughs> 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 he's like, I don't know. And so like, yeah, like so like you see. The one shot you see, Marty, you see Michael J. Fox launching his hand over to punch him. But when they cut to actually Biff getting punched in the face, it's been long rumored that, or, or like uh, one of like the greatest—I wouldn't say greatest, but like um, what is it? Uh, fan theories or uh, legends or you know mythos in Hollywood is like, was that Eric Stoltz or was that Michael J. Fox? You know, we we don't know, but. It's it's funny that that is presumably what was uh you know the one scene in the movie but you're absolutely right Eric um they actually filmed for about six weeks 
uh, of filming before they decided that he wasn't a right fit for the role. And so they, they went to Family Ties producers to plea with them to please give us Michael J. Fox, as long as Michael <laughs> J. Fox is willing to do it. And so when they secured Michael J. Fox and they went over to Universal and be like, hey, remember when you said if Eric Stoltz doesn't work out, we can do this again. And uh, ultimately that ended up working out. And then fun, fun, fun fact on top of all that is that they had another actress play Jennifer Parker, his girlfriend. Um, but when they brought in Michael J. Fox, that actress was too tall for Michael J. Fox. And then they didn't think... She was... I forgot uh, her it name. Was what's her f- it was What's-Her-Face. She was ju- uh, Melora... She was Melora Hardin. She was just on yes. uh, Dancing with the Stars. That's right. Yes, you're right. It From was The Office. And, and she was too tall for Michael J. Fox. And then Zemeckis went to the female crew, all the members of the female crew, and was like, hey, do you believe that this woman of this height will be dating somebody of this uh? height? And they all said no. Maybe it's not going to work out. So they they had nothing against uh, nothing against her, but they had to axe her too in this process. And they brought in um, uh, Claudia Wells to play Jennifer Parker, which was their second choice. And luckily, she was the appropriate height for Michael J. Fox. It's just it's just crazy, like you know how all that transpired. And then they had to go back and redo, have six weeks worth of another reshoots. But they said that they were able to you know make do with just like doing cutaways with Michael J. Fox of like, you know, there was a, the, at the beginning of 1985, there was a dinner scene. So like he wasn't there with the rest of the cast. So they right. just shot his scene so he can then go off and do family ties. And then they filmed the rest of it with the other actors. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. Like he was working night and day, Michael J. Fox, like the, the show during the day and then the movie at night, it was just like a, and then like a nonstop on the weekends. It was just a constant cycle for him. And he really wanted to do it. Obviously it paid off for him. Um, another fun fact is that at one point, and this is again, the studio's involvement, um, that there was a chimp, Doc Brown had a pet chimp instead of a dog. <laughs> and so what was the, the name again? Uh, Shimp. I think it was S H E M P. Shimp the chimp. Shimp the chimp. <laughs> <laughs> I and, forgot and they, about that. Yeah. And they said the studio head was like, um, no movie is successful with a chimp. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what that's what he said. And he was like, "All right, we'll just change it to a dog." Then again, probably worked out for the better. Yeah. Um, and then the, one one of my favorites was that at one point the studio had they didn't they they hated the name Back to the Future, and they said that I want the name to be instead Spaceman from Pluto. Uh, yikes! Well, <laughs> they, that they said that's. <laughs> Thankfully, they said that's the name. And so Bob and and uh, Zemeckis and Gale were like, "That's a terrible name." So. Bob Gale wrote this in an email. He said, quote, thank you for the hilarious memo. We all got a big laugh out of it. Keep them coming, unquote. And then, <laughs> and then like, apparently they never heard from him. I never heard about that issue again. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> they, just, like, they just brushed it off. It was like, we're not taking that too seriously. And we're just going to move on um, with that. So. Yeah, it, it, this movie is, is just filled with so much like and also like they had a, such a, 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 a harsh deadline because it was supposed to be back in July and then they had to do all the reshoots. And then when they did their first screen test with the audience, people it, it's funny because when the, the dog, you know, when, when Einstein goes to the future for like that one minute or the past, I'm not sure exactly which way he went. But when he when he time traveled, the audience apparently thought that they killed the dog at that <laughs> moment. 
<laughs> they're like, oh no, they what did they just do? And then, <laughs> and then when Four they brought him back, and I hate this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm done. And I'm then out. They, I'm done. Like they, they killed the fucking dog. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Four this minutes movie. in. <laughs> Fuck this movie. <laughs> I want my refund for I I I want my my five dollar check for doing this and I want to leave. I, yeah, I want my get, get out of here. And then they brought the dog back and everything was fine, obviously. Uh, but they they it had such a well received audience, um, you know, first viewing that the studio was like, you know what, we're gonna bump up the release date to Fourth of July weekend. And they're like, wait a minute, so all of our hard work was rewarded with let's move up the date. We're barely scrunching time to get this you know this movie out for mid July. And so obviously all of the scrambling and all that was a huge success uh, for the movie. And, and 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 it shows like look how much you know we've been talking about this for the last couple of minutes yeah. and like there's a lot of passion behind this. So before we, we move on to to Forrest Gump, is there any any last words Eric we'll start with you that you want to mention about this movie? You know, if if you've not seen it yet, you really really need to because even here we're in 2021 almost 2022. I mean, it really does hold up because it's all about these moments in time. So 1985, when it was released, was current day. But today, it's just another moment in time for you to be able to visit. And I think that right. whether or not that was even intended or even a, a glimpse of their mind, because they picked these moments of time, it's still so perfect. So perfect today. I 100% agree. I mean, I, I've loved this movie. I love the trilogy. And for me, if I had to pick, I would go... Two, one, three, but that's not to discredit the other two. It's just they're all so great. But I really do think that element of like, especially um, looking at the same situation from another another perspective, yeah. it's always such an effect. I just always find it so effective whenever they do it in other shows, even if it's not dealing with time travel. Just the same situation, just from another uh, advantage point. Like, it's great, a great movie. Uh, you're definitely doing a disservice to yourself if you haven't seen it. Oh my god. And the music. The Alan Silvestri Absolutely. music. My oh, god. Oh, I totally forgot about I used to listen I used to listen to the to the um the theme song. I would run to that cuz it's like it gets you hyped. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and in such he is such a gifted composer that oh, he's yeah. able to take yeah. These signatures and, and and the greats are you know the 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 Giacchinos the the oh. the James Horner may he rest in peace you know you could go through John these Williams. unbelievable John Williams listen John Williams has ha- had to do nine Star Wars movies for God's sake <laughs> yeah. and so he's able to make Leia's theme sound like uh you know Leia's theme in different phases you know a happy <laughs> in a sense you know so so to be able to get a Wild West theme on Back to the Future and you know it's just to take all of these peaks and valleys it that music is still just just unbelievable the music definitely makes this movie i mean i mean a lot of things make this movie but the music really kind of ties it all together like that like bombastics like and you're like yes what go marty go eat email brower let's do this (laughs) it's it's like Uh, the wonderment in the music as he's looking around hill valley and he's like like he doesn't have to say holy crap because the music is doing it for him. Exactly. Yes, that's a really <laughs> good point because even like the subtle like you have like the you know the very loud like da 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 but then like when yeah. he, like you said going through like Hill Valley he's like da da 
and you're like, oh shit, some some shit's coming. Or even or even some parts insert like they may not be playing the whole score, but like they'll play like a beat from the score. It's like and it's like something with yes, yes, something clicked in his head or yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what about the lightning storm when it's starting and it's just da 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 da. You know, there's just that little string beat and the underlying theme, and you're just like something's building. Yeah, and especially with that scene with Doc Brown, he's like he's looking, damn, the dun dun dun, damn damn, or we're going back to the future. And it's just again, the music really ties this movie together. It again, it's one of my all time favorites. I'm glad we're able to talk about it today. But yeah, like and then even like so far, like I watched this movie and I. I was like, and for some reason, I didn't go down a Zemeckis train. I went down a, a Spielberg chain. Because then I was yeah. like, well, like, oh, Steven Spielberg was involved? What movies he's done? Like, oh, Jaws? All right. What, what's this Jaws about? Uh, Jurassic <laughs> yeah. Park about dinosaurs? E.T. about an alien? It's like, and then, like, you go from there. It's like, well, what has he done? Like, what has this actor done? And then you kind of just, yeah. you're going down, like, the studio made all these movies? Okay, what what else do these studios make? And then you're yeah. just going down that line of, it's it's just, it's so great. Um and also, it's like like it's such a different time travel movie. It's a very simple time travel movie that doesn't like you know it doesn't take much for the audience to need to understand like the inner workings. Right. It's like like here's this flux capacitor. What does it do? I don't know, but it sends you back in time. And it's like great. It's not like Tenet. It's not like when you it, think it, of, a, of a movie like Tenet where it talks about time travel, but it it right. deals with like entropy and like and like it like physics. You're like this way. <laughs> like I but, loved but it. But then also. <laughs> also shows you though like good storytelling is in the plot development it, you know the you don't have to go into the weeds to make a great story because the people are what make a great story agreed so if you focus right. on your character development you can still handle all the rest of it yeah because you know even in back to the in back to the future like they didn't even focus on the entire world everything was around hill valley like how how messed up and convoluted if they had like try to include like every like like big events throughout the world and maybe yeah. how this one event affected that like maybe that would have been cool but i maybe it would have been too it would have been too much they would have been trying to do too much and, and you know, like, I think you made a really good point because, like, again, like at one point they're going to go to an atomic bomb site, and it's like exactly we don't need to we don't need to do all that. It's like the story, the Hill Valley is its own character that needs yeah, to stay yeah. here, and the fact that the trilogy kind of just focused on that and also kept it true to family. We're trying to re reconnect your parents in the past. We're trying to save your children in the future. We're trying to make sure that Doc can you know come back to back to reality in eighty five after all of yeah. his time travels. Um, so it's just like it it's. It's just a perfect story that doesn't – and now, and I will say this now before we wrap up this conversation here. The question of should there be a Back to the Future 4? Uh, Bob Gale and, and specifically Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis said this is a perfect trilogy. We never – we're never going to make a 4. And after all these reboots and sequels in the past and especially uh, – we just saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, which there was a – you know. Some good reason of why we can make a sequel. I think that was done right. But Eric, I'll ask you, you know, do you think we can have a very good story if they were making Back to the Future 4? And, you know, say if Bob Gale came back to write and Zemeckis came back to direct. I think you can do it if it's not a reboot. I think you could do it today, being so far removed from 1985, but it would have to be a completely separate story with completely separate characters. And you could throw mm. in an Easter egg randomly 
But I also think it's a perfect trilogy, and I don't want to touch it. And if anybody wants to at me, all I have to say is just look back to when Star Wars added a fourth movie. Done. Yep. I'm no fan of the prequels. (laughs) (laughs) Not Uh, even three. I mean, you you know, three was fine. Listen, you get that fight scene at the end. (laughs) That was fine. You know what, though? Listen, you know what that fight scene, though, was? It was the same thing that the other two were, which is way too much CGI. Let's do it because we can't. And that's a that's it, it's a whole other problem. But my point is, <laughs> yeah, you take you take a New Hope, you take Empire, you take Return of the Jedi, which are friggin' masterpieces, and then you start putting out garbage. Even though, as a fan, you want it's just like I could have lived my whole life with the visualization of those first three movies. I didn't need to see it, but now that I see it, it sucked. <laughs> Hot take. Eric doesn't Hot like the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Ernesto, what about you on Back to the Future 4? Um, of course, I, I would love to see a new ins- uh, another installment, but the question is, is like, is Michael J. Fox, like, is he still acting? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that he no, is. He, no, he is. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's has like a recurring role on the good the Good Fight, I believe, it's it's on Paramount Plus right now. Um, so like he's he's done a stint on that for a little bit, but he is acting. He Does also he has have his own to? Show. I don't think so. I don't think. Oh, you mean you mean to be is... a part? You mean to be a part of the fourth story? Right. Like oh, what if it wasn't involving him? Not not to say that 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 his 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 situation has anything to do with it, but but just. Does does a Back to the Future remake or, or or a new story does it have to involve the original characters or does it go in a different direction? I think it helps mm. if it involves the original characters. I think at the very least, bringing back Marty and and Doc into the fray would help. Um, I think Lee and even Lee Thompson and 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 Biff, you know, like bring bring those four core people back. And Chris McGlovern, he's never been associated with the film after the first movie, so he can officially die in, in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but because you know, but. I, but I, I agree with you. I don't think I think they can do a, a Ghostbusters Afterlife where it's kind of like a passing the torch. If you were to do it, you have to you have to honor the original trilogy. Like yeah, like maybe like yeah. there's a there's like an, a a time travel academy built in Doc Brown's honor. I, I don't mean I don't know. There's so many different there's yeah. so many different routes that they can take it. Um, as long as you don't ruin what the original three mean and and alter their storylines in any way, then I think that yeah. it could that it could work. Yeah, I feel like the I feel like the biggest thing is if they were to make a four, it needs to stay in Hill Valley. Like maybe maybe it doesn't need to involve time travel per se at all. They can stick to like say like 2025 uh, Hill Valley, and like maybe he's noticing the changes. Like wait a minute. My dad went back in time. Dun dun dun. And then like you just kinda <laughs> You know, and so like, you know, you're getting all those issues. And like so maybe like the the kid, like Marty McFly's kid is learning about his dad. Maybe he's maybe he's gone. Maybe maybe Marty McFly, just like Doc, is lost in time. But then again, Doc was like running around with a flying train at this point, so I'm not sure how far we're gonna go with that, but <laughs> That's right. Or what about so, Doc Brown's but they could kids? They, they, yeah, they, they, they could, could find too. 
Isn't that interesting, though? I would have never thought of that. Somebody could find a flux capacitor and create it, and then they could go back, and then they could create a paradox looking for dad. <laughs> or looking for dad, or they create a paradox that they went back to 1985, and he notices, like, wait a minute, this is this is the same scene in the mall, and it's it, yes. it, when I, it, it's, it's, the, it's the three times mall now, the three times mall now. I thought <laughs> said, when it was the two times mall or yeah. something. <laughs> the no it was time mall, because my brain no, no, over. <laughs> Grass Valley Mall, the- <laughs> which there is a Grass Valley, California. So, there you, you know, go. That would make a lot of sense. Wow. There we go. We just pitched. We just pitched the fourth movie. <laughs> yes. Universal. Bob Gale. Robert Zemeckis. Because I know you're listening. So yeah, we, we know that you're tuning into this. You're tuning into this. So just, just keep our. Well, would be great if he was. I know, right? Robert Zemeckis, you know, he's listening to the podcast. All of a sudden, he's like, creator spotlight on me? Okay, well, what, Eric, what do these idiots have to say? Eric is acting like he knows them. <laughs> he's got his assistant. He's like, he's like hey, uh, Mr. Zemeckis, uh, there's a podcast out about you, and he's sitting over. You know, he's got, like, his lounge chair, and he's smoking that cigar, drinking that cavassier, and he's like... I'll take it on my iPad, please. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got, he's got Back to the Future poster in the background. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know what? These idiots might be on to something. Hey, Bob, Gail. <laughs> I think Eric Eric is going to send him the link. He was acting like he knew him earlier. He's like, yeah, yeah you know, Bobby Zemeckis. <laughs> Bobby well, the last Z. time we grabbed Bobby Last Z. time we went out to In-N-Out Burger out there, you know. Last time we went to In-N-Out Burger. That's what he asked me to call him, so. Yeah. All yeah. oh, my friends call me Bobby. <laughs> Uh, but, oh my god uh, um, so, alright so moving on from Back to the Future Back to the Future will go on to be a huge success grossing 380 million dollars from a 19 million dollar budget Zemeckis and Gale will receive their first Academy Award nomination for best screenplay with the film receiving a total of four Oscar nominations and winning one for best sound editing they didn't win uh, what, any other nominations what was, up, what was up again do you know offhand what was up against it that year for the mm. Academy Awards? Just I do curious. not know. Un- unfortunately, I, I, okay, you get that. Was that was that the eighty-five or eighty-six? It would be the eighty-six oh, Academy Awards. It would be eighty-six, yeah. 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 It came out, uh, did it come out October? No, it came out it came, summer. It, it, you're right, you're right. right. Yeah, J- July 4th, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so with the company, with, with a major success like that, it's only fitting that Zemeckis would uh, get a phone call from the Walt Disney Company asking him to direct their next upcoming film. And in 1988, he would release his next film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a 1940s uh, set mystery that combined traditional animation with live action. It's a $70 million budget would make it one of the most expensive films he's ever had to put, uh, has, has ever, has ever done to his career, uh, at this point. Um, the film would also go on to be a financial and crit- uh, critical success, winning three Academy, uh, Academy Awards in the process for its technical achievements in visual effects, sound, and film editing. Right off the heels, of that, he would go on to uh, he would go back in time to direct Back to the Future two and three back to back in 1989 and in 1990. In 1992, Zemeckis would continue his work on strange and zany comedies and direct Death Becomes Her. In 1992, Zemeckis would continue. Oh, sorry. Uh, a star. Uh, Death Becomes Her, starring Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, and Bruce Willis. 
1994, Zemeckis would switch gears from comedy and direct his first dramatic film. A film that is arguably one of the best films of his career. A film that stars the one and only Tom Hanks. A film that compares life to a box of chocolates. Of course, I am talking about Forrest Gump. Uh, Eric, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts, your biggest takeaways from a Forrest Gump? So I saw that in the theater, and um, I I can tell you to this day, and, and this is not a knock against Back to the Future or any other films, I think Forrest Gump may be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. I, I think that that may be my absolute favorite, favorite film. I walked out of there crying just uncontrollably. It was... It, it, it was a beautiful piece of art. And then, of course, Alan Silvestri's music. If that doesn't take your heart, rip it out, put it back in, make it feel comfortable and warm, <laughs> and then rip it back out, and then put it back in and make you feel... I will still today listen to that music. Or uh, It's another period piece in just such beautiful ways. I, I That is my favorite movie. I'm going to stop talking about it now. That, that's it. <laughs> I could ramble on, but, but who cares, right? Like... I, every time I see that, still, every time I still see that, I'm still fighting back tears. Back to you. It, it's an emotional movie. Ernesto, what were your thoughts and takeaways? Um, do you remember? You know, do you remember when you first saw the movie? I first saw. I don't remember exactly when, but I do know that that was. This is probably one of the first like serious dramas I ever. I ever watched and it and it was amazing like even even younger I still enjoyed it like I used to as a as a young kid I, I would laugh at the scene where uh she's trying to get him into school but his ice too low and he's sitting on the porch he's like your mama sure does love you he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he starts making fun of him when he starts crying shit. Like, I always uh, thought that was so funny but you didn't did you under you didn't understand it but you really knew get it, it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now I get You're it. like, I, I get don't know what's going on in there. I don't know what's <laughs> happening, but dang. Um, but you know, rewatching this movie this, uh, for this episode or whatever, it like, I just, I never really appreciated how great like the writing and just yeah. everything is about this movie. Like, the iconic scene, obviously, where he gets the, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. You know, he, the principal scene where he makes he makes fun of him after he sleeps with his mom. And it and it's I think it's great that they that they took this movie and they want they showed us different real points of history and they found ways to superimpose Forrest Gump into that. I felt like we were we were getting like a history lesson of like the sixties and the seventies and, mm-hmm. and the eighties, like, you know, how he how he interacted with all these iconic figures like he met Elvis as a kid, you know when the when Alabama State had the school integration and the girl drops her book and they cut to that footage of him giving her the book that they put him in, you know meeting Kennedy after he after he went all American right. and he drinks all the Dr Pepper and he has to I gotta go pay <laughs> White Water in Washington D.C. where he's the one that calls. Yeah. That was like, yeah. He's like there's Water, some yeah. flashlights. Uh, I think they have having power issues they're keeping me up keeping me away (laughs) (laughs) oh going to vietnam i mean meeting john lennon like you just said the watergate um stupid is a stupid does run forest run i mean we have a freaking restaurant chain based off of this movie (laughs) how crazy is that (laughs) uh i just and and chippewa square in savannah is a celebrity of itself there's no bench but that 
you, there are yep. crowds in Chippewa Square, which is where the bench was in the movie. Yes. Yes. Um, I just love that the story centered. It was another another testament of like using simplistic elements, like making Forrest simple minded. But yeah. him being simple minded, like allowed him to excel at like all these other ventures. Like perfect scene when when uh, Bubba's talking to him about all the shrimp, all the shrimp dishes he can make. He's just like completely like annihilating that gun. Like, right, like right, ten right, seconds right. time. <laughs> Are you? And then his drill sergeant just telling him how stupid he is, but then how great, but also telling him how great he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just feel like this movie is just, you know, you know, you get Lieutenant Dan defending him from the hookers on New Year's Eve, even though he's mad at him for saving his life. And then we see that payoff in the end when, you know, after they become, they become so close. Um, and, and, you know, they get all the success after that hurricane, that, uh, that hurricane that came through well, that caused t- them. You- you talk about the restaurant chain, and I don't know if you guys had, had planned on mentioning this, but like like Lieutenant Dan, obviously Gary Sinise, has turned that role in that movie into this massively successful nonprofit where he takes care of veterans and their families and and you know we've had him uh, on on our on our newscast you know where over in Orlando at, at channel two talking about this and and all like there's so much that has come from this movie that has actually truthfully impacted the world. Gary Sinise is changing people's lives. He is like one of the nicest people. Cuz I I think I mean I actually got to meet him and I got to take a picture with him. He's probably like one of the nicest people I've ever met. He was just so humble, so nice. I'm like, this is not Lieutenant Dan screaming in my face. <laughs> <laughs> but it but it is. But it but is. But it was. But it was. <laughs> um but you know i feel like the movie has a good a lot of symbolism it's like don't overthink life like maybe we should all be a little bit like forrest and just kind of live in the moment like don't stop overthinking shit i mean i didn't realize that his son at at the end of the movie is Haley joel osmond like yeah i was like i was like oh my god that's the kid who sees dead people (laughs) i believe that was his first movie too i think he was doing commercials at the time so they, they, they they plucked him out and he's like yeah this kid he he's, he can be a good actor, and sure enough, look at him today. Mm-hmm. Or Robin Wright, you know, she's going to be the, the first first lady uh, taking over the world. That's right. right. <laughs> That's very true. Um, yeah, you know, I, I and you know, you guys mentioned you know what you guys have been saying so far, but um, I I think. That Forrest Gump is a character that's so endearing and so innocent in his own right that mm-hmm. he's just kind of just taking life as it comes to him, and and like I wouldn't, it's kind of like like he didn't really put much thought in his in his in his planning. He's just like, hey, like he just graduated college. He's like, hey, you want to go to no? Well, actually, he it's just kind of funny. Like you're kind of just watching this guy's life just transpire under the backdrop of him telling these stories to random strangers on a bench. And like the, and the people are just like a carousel waiting for a bus. And and I think it's so funny that toward the end of that movie, uh, the old lady was like, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to go visit, uh, you know, Jenny and, and, um, and like in this place, like, Oh, that's only four blocks down. And so like, he didn't even need to be on that bench in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) He could have just walked there. But the symbolism, the the very first and very last thing you're seeing is this feather just floating in the wind, which kind of goes, Matt, to what you were saying is he's just kind of that feather floating. And we're all just kind of that feather floating through the wind, through life, and it's going to go where it takes you. And that's as simple and, and it's as simple as that. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great point because like he's just like, hey, a young age, someone told him to run. So he ran. And so like he was having back issues. But then, you know, that was able to like, you know, send him forward. And it's almost like, man, this guy has dumb luck, but it's not, not, I don't think luck has anything to do with it. I think it's just Forrest being himself and staying true to himself made him the person he was today. He might have not been the smartest person, but he even said, like, I might not be the smartest man, but I know what love is. Like, I, I know yeah. I kn- he knows things, obviously, and he was able to have a very successful career just by being a feather flowing in the wind, kind of just doing his own thing and yeah. inspiring so many people along in the process, including Lieutenant Dan. And kind of like it, it's kind of funny how like Forrest Gump, like changed like even like on his mother's deathbed deathbed she's like i i realized that my job was to be your mother that's what i needed to do i needed to be your mother and then you see all the successes that forrest gump has had either like he just because he was he ran fast he was able to get a a college education and go to university by playing uh, football and then as soon as he graduated college somebody came up to him he's like hey are you interested in joining the army and he's like all right Okay. Then he joins the army, <laughs> and then and he ends up saving a person that probably should have been dead, which was Lieutenant Dan, and then yep. fulfilling a fulfilling a promise of starting a shrimp boat and company as him as the uh, as the as the first mate, and like he as an so homage dis- to Bubba. Exactly. exactly as an homage to Bubba and like he he stuck to that promise no matter what he's like as long as soon as I get enough money I'm gonna do it and then and then even like with him playing ping pong he's like well they told me to play ping pong and so now I'm playing ping pong and I'm actually quite good at it and then you know they wanted me to go with and then and now all of a sudden I'm like part of the team and then it's so funny that after all the successes because like he like the team went all American so he met the president and then he was a war hero so he met the president and then the ping pong again thing happened, like, again so I met the president again <laughs> i'm done with the president um but it's just like it's just so haphazardly just like him just flowing through life and it's just like i feel like that's the most endearing thing about it and then so you have lieutenant dan who it got such a huge impact from him and became successful and was able to cope with the fact that like and he played that character so well of somebody you know like a war veteran who feels mm. out of place in the world after yeah. you know he's being disabled and it's like I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I don't have any more legs. I, like, how do I continue on with society? And you can see he was in a really low place. And because of one holiday season with Forrest Gump, he yeah. did, like he was like, hey, I'm gonna go whenever I get enough money. I'm gonna start this shrimping company, and and you're gonna be my first mate. And he's like, all right, whatever, man. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> if you the day you are a shrimp boat captain is the day I'm your first mate. And he must and we never saw those scenes, but he must have been at a really low point in his life. Where he's like, he and he gets that postcard from Forrest Gump saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm a shrimp boat captain. Come down." And he's like, "Well, fuck it. What else am I doing?" You know, mm. there's a scene or maybe there's seen. a reason to live. That's true. Or there's a reason to live. Yeah, exactly. Forrest Gump was the reason for him to keep moving on with his life, and kind right. of in a way made the same with Jenny. Now, I never liked Jenny as a character because she was always an asshole to to Forrest Gump <laughs> for the most part. Like every time, like he put his heart out, she's like pieces um deuces i'm out of here um i'm just gonna like go on and do my life and you can and and i think it's really important to show the kind of like the parallels that forrest gump had in in his life compared to what jenny had in her life you can see that you know she might have been maybe smaller but she was making way different decisions than forrest gump was yeah and you can see how her life was just not 
hitting it. And and there are moments in history where she could have been staying with Forrest and have a better life, but for some reason she decided not to and continue the life that she was living. Yeah, it, and he, he even says it when he's standing over her grave. He's like, you know, do we have purpose or do we floating are we just floating about? And I think you kind of nailed it because in a way Forrest was just floating about, but still, because he was true to himself as a person, yes. he still maintained a good life. Whereas Jenny, I mean, look, she was mixed up in all these different movements, trying to do all these different things, trying to be bigger than probably what she was, that she look at this troubled life that she lived. And even when she had the good things slapping her in the face, talking to her you know, on stage, seeing him on TV, like it was never a light bulb for her until it was right. almost until it was almost too late. Like they got to spend some time together. And, you know, thankfully he has his son now. But I mean, that's th- out of everything that Forrest did. The only thing he ever wanted for himself was to be with Jenny. Everything else yeah. was everything else was just happened, just happened through life. The only thing he ever wanted was Jenny. And it, it's just it's just sad to see. Well, I mean, it's almost like I, I I have a hard time feeling sorry for Jenny because there are moments that she could have just done that. But I think it was important for the movie to have those parallels yeah. because because you can see of how you know basically how our different versions of how uh, how one decision can literally turn your life around. Absolutely. And to the point for, and point for Jenny, she almost commits suicide at one point. Of like you know I'm I'm not like I think it was New Year's if I'm not mistaken yeah and yeah yeah standing on that balcony it's standing on the balcony and she's like you know what this isn't worth it anymore and I would like to think that maybe Forrest Gump was the one that was maybe you know in the back of her Popped mind in the head, reason why yeah yeah I mean again that wasn't seen in any way shape or form in that in that moment but I would like to think that because obviously she she came back to. I think she went back to Forrest as many times as Forrest went to go visit Jenny. I could be wrong on that. It's it's somewhere around there. But it's also it's also says something about like you don't know how what you're doing, how you're affecting somebody else and like how you're right. helping somebody else to push forward. Like maybe her seeing Forrest, like her seeing him run across country and you know, freaking on stage at the memorial, like like all those things all those things played into her staying alive. I feel like if he had not been in her life, she wouldn't have made it as far as she did. Yeah, I think so too. And that's kind of the beautiful part of the way that they tell the story is that, you know, it lets you have just enough room for interpretation. But at the same time, they, you know, they are able to deliver their story, but there's such wiggle room through that journey, right? Because you see what she goes through, and it's not good. Um, but she finds her way back to him. You see what he goes through, and it's not always good. But he finds his way back to her, and and their their motives are there, but only on the surface. And that ties back to the storytelling of Back to the Future, where you know keeping it simple kind of also adds to it because you can get into your theater of the mind just as much as the theater of the cinema, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point of like, yes, there was a lot going on in this movie, but because the character was simple, and the like, then I think, I think one aspect of something needs to be simple for you to get on the idea of something else. So because 
like for Back to the Future, the settings and the explanation of time travel was simple. We can then ex, you know, expand on the character and his situations, right. maybe being a little bit more complicated. Whereas in Forrest Gump, because the character was simple, then we can have his world be a little bit more complicated than you know the average setting. And so the fact that we can it kind of like like easily go from small town kid. That has back issues, and you think that would be the focus of the movie, but they just literally ran that out of the water. And then, like, he is uh, going to be a football star, to a war veteran, to playing ping pong. It's like <laughs> these weird things that he was doing throughout his life. And then the fact that, like, I think it was such ingrained in American history as well. I feel like that is the one that really sets this movie apart from the rest is that like you were able to like input this simple character into like oh so he's the reason for watergate or right he was the right re- you're right exactly it's, so it's like oh so he was the one um who 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 vented the phrase shit happens you know it's just like it's just so it's just like these random things that like he inspired so many um i forgot where there was one scene where uh i forgot what it was but he he just inspired something else and like and then it's like his way of viewing it like his 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 way of viewing the world yeah and i think that helped with the narration of the movie of him telling the story and it, it was almost like when he was like teaching elvis he's like he he was just trying to dance with the feet but elvis took the that inspiration and make it his own and so then when his mother sees on the tv he thinks he's mocking her son through that right but at at the same time, like Forrest was just doing what Forrest is, and he was like, "Yeah, I saw that guy on TV doing the same dance move as me." And for Forrest, that was like, that was like, you know, cool. He's he's doing what I'm doing. But to his mother, it's like this this guy's making fun of my kid. You know, it's like it's that that simple mindset just kind of just let him forward and not really caring what anybody else thinks of him for the most part. See, and that's what's so beautiful too, because I you know, when it comes to certain topics in life, if you <laughs> the the term ignorance is bliss plays in and for me you know if i just kind of try to shed that negativity in my own personal life i do find that i'm happier you know when people are arguing and fighting and bickering blah 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 blah, blah if i just eh, i don't want to have to anything to do with that i find that i live a happier life and so if if you're seeing Forrest through all of these trials and tribulations and just struggling to get the girl the only thing in the world he wants but if he just sheds the negativity and always just says let's just see where it takes me it shows that how happy and how through life he can get and not have to worry about the rest so his mom is you know that's not for children's eyes she's overthinking it whereas Forrest is I know that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, you make a really good point of just like, like ignorance is a little bit bliss, but for him, like he was happier for it. It's almost like it's, it's a it's a hard pivot, but like the Matrix when he's given the option to take the red pill or the blue pill, you can either know That's everything good, yeah. about everything. That's it. Yeah. Or you can live in the idea that you never know that this thing's existed. And so it's like, and then with Forrest Gump, he's like he knew. That he was in Vietnam and he was fighting a war, but he didn't quite really understand what he was doing. But for lack of a better term, he understood the assignment. He understood what he needed to do at that moment without really needing to understand everything that was happening uh, in in, this, in his surroundings. So like when all hell was breaking loose with uh, with the bombings, he knew that he had to save people. 
and and that was it. He didn't real he didn't understand why those bombs were going off. He just knew that he needed to save people. He didn't understand why he was being tossed around all over um uh, uh, America to play ping pong, but he knew that that's what people wanted him to do. So he just went out and played ping pong, you know. Um, and, and I think it's just a character like that. It almost feels like that by watching this movie, we all can either relate to or want to be Forrest Gump to live in his yeah. world and to have his successes. Well, it just seems like that's why so many people resonate with this story. I mean, because who doesn't want to be a person who just lives by their word, lives in the moment and just says whatever they feel and doesn't overthink things. I mean, I think everybody wants to be Forrest in one, in any, in a, any way that they can be in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, even his way when he was saying like, yeah, Dan, uh, invest some money in this fruit company. He said, we don't got to worry about no money no more. And then he goes like, <laughs> which is good, right? What, one less thing to worry about, you know, money. I'm, one less thing. Is, it's one less thing. One less thing. You know, everything, everyone who thrives for it, uh, like right, trying right, right. to get enough money. He's like, you know, one less thing. I don't have to worry about that. Um, like that, that, that mindset. He's like, and then he's like, then my mama told me that, you know, you're never going to have too much money. So I just put it back into the community. I built this church and like, it's just like that. It's just like, he's such a nice guy. And, who doesn't want like, to do that? Like, who doesn't want to have enough money that they can take care of their community? Like, that's what right. I'm saying, you know? And then he's like, I got this great job of cutting grass, but once I, you know, once I have all the money in the world, I just did it for free. I just, like, like I just, doing it. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just like, I just like doing it. It's like, it's just like, uh, he lives such a simple life. It's, it's just great. And, and it's crazy that even some behind the scenes stuff that, uh, this movie took about nine years to make. This 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 uh, the script was shelved for years, uh, put in a box, and like there was always something about this movie that that grabbed it. It wasn't, it didn't hit the right notes just yet until it was given like a small rewrite. This is actually based off of a book, and it went to different liberties where Forrest was like a wrestler, and he uh, something about. Involving a monkey or something, another monkey thing. Um, uh, another, <laughs> Zemeckis. Zemeckis. <laughs> Zemeckis. Oh, he Does he have a monkey? Yeah. <laughs> Does he really himself. want a monkey? So, like, actually, Zemeckis didn't write this script, but he was involved oh. in the. Um, uh, it was like the other writers. He, like, he the script was already done before Zemeckis was part of this movie. But I think it was. Uh, and so, like, it took a while for this to make, and then when it was given, you know, under the hands of Zemeckis and Tom Hanks, they were the really the ones. Uh, that were putting it, and I was watching this documentary. They did a really good point about this: that Robert Zemeckis gave, uh, so like the writer, I think is Rick uh, Eric Roth, I believe, gave like Eric the voice where Tom Hanks, oh no, sorry, uh, gave Forrest Gump its soul, whereas Tom Hanks gave the character a heart, and where Robert Zemeckis gave this story a vision, like he had a vision for the story to be told. Interesting. And. Um, and what was interesting about this is that there was a lot of studio head changes between, uh, I believe it was Paramount Pictures, and there was a lot of liberties that they didn't want to do. They were saying, like, this movie is getting way too expensive. We don't need these scenes to be in there. We don't, like, we can cut out the running scene. We can cut a, we can cut out him being in Vietnam. But then imagine the movie without those scenes in no. it. No. It wouldn't be the same. It, absolutely. And so, like, at the end of the day, uh, Zemeckis and Tom Hanks created, uh, put their own money into this project because that's how much they believed into this character. Uh, or, I'm sorry, th- this this film. And and because against the studio's uh, wishes, they actually, <laughs> especially the running scene, because I think they realized that they were going to go over budget and, like, we, they have to cut out the running scene at the end. But then they were like, you know what? We're just not going to 
tell the studio about this. So they had <laughs> yeah. this they had this secret project that they were that they were doing that they they weren't telling the studio and so like i think the course of a week they just kept flying to different cities and they also hired tom hanks's brother to do some of those running scenes so they can be filming in two places at once i did not know that i actually didn't know that yeah and so they're literally (laughs) when you watch a movie there are so and, and we've all watched enough movies to be able to say there's plenty of times you're like, well, that was three minutes that I didn't need, or that was a scene <laughs> that we didn't need, or they just didn't oh, develop yeah. the character. But you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that Vietnam or the running sequences didn't add so much to that plot. You can't do Forrest Gump the way that we genuinely love it and and believe in the the, the innocence and beauty of it. Well, both both without. scenes both scenes are parts of the, those are so some pivotal parts of the story like that's what causes jenny the running is what causes jenny to event to right. actually come back and without vietnam he never would have met bubba he never would have saved half of his platoon he never would have ping pong like half of his life would have been completely different what about what about the whole lieutenant dan dynamic like how how yeah. in god's name do you cut that exactly. that is the backbone of the film absolutely absolutely and it's weird because like at, in the studio's heads like the documentary was explained like they're just focused on the money like hey the, the money like the money's not there for these scenes so just cut them out like he's he's going to all these other different places just leave those scenes <laughs> in there but like yeah. you know you're going you're recreating a, a Vietnam setting that's way too much money but it's it's just crazy how like Zemeckis and even Tom Hanks were so and like we are committed to this project we believe in this so much that you know we're just we're gonna put our own money into this and we're gonna make sure that it gets because and since we are putting our own money into this we're gonna make the movie that we want to make we're not gonna take and any we're gonna call advice. the school and i'm gonna demand that i get into that program because even though they denied <laughs> me right 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 See? right but Absolutely. that's passion if you've got the passion if you've got the passion you're gonna get s done right that's right and so tom hanks they made that movie that they wanted because they believed in it and no was not an option Absolutely, and, and look like, how it paid off. It paid off in a in a big bad way too. It was one of the biggest movies of the year at that point. Uh, and and like Ernesto, like you were saying earlier, like not only did it transcend uh, cinema and Hollywood wise, there's a whole restaurant franchise about this movie that if you actually go eat at the Bubba Gump restaurant, there are so many references as if they were referencing a real life person. Like have you, ever, have like, you ever eaten there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> they have the sign on the table. Stop for stop. Run for, yeah. for the server. Like how crazy for is the that? server. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's such a genius idea. And then like every restaurant has like a um like a bench that you can put like they have like the bench and like the 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 shoes where you could like put your feet into the shoes as well and like take it's like a photo op. I think like the briefcase is there too. Um, it's just nuts that that like how many other movies can you think of that there's a restaurant chain after it? It's like it's unheard of. Well, and I'm just I'm going to do the the Gary Sinise thing again because it's like, right. you know, this is also, you know, every year the Gary Sinise Foundation does so much good work day in and day out. And why? Because Gary is not a schlub actor, right? Like we could go down his IMDb page and be pretty daggum impressed. Oh, you know, right. him and Apollo 13, come on. Ooh. I mean, we could just keep going, right? So, but but this role, again, you've got somebody that that was touched by the story and by by this and so Gary today and and I don't know I haven't looked uh, I haven't seen him in anything recently but I haven't seen anybody in anything recently that isn't Disney <laughs> Channel stuff right but 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 you know um, he's doing he's doing such good work 
to help people. And to the point where if you, you know, if you go to his website and I swear I don't work for them, I'm not on like their board or anything, but I'm a flipping believer, man. Like if you go and look at what they do, that's a dude that puts his money where his mouth is. And it came from this. That's right. It mm-hmm. came from this movie. What other that- movie has something like that? Not that I can think of. Not many. I mean, I'm sure that there is, but not many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the fact that that was able to transcend beyond this, you know, the, just your average movie, just shows of how how much this movie can create an impact. Not only the pe- the characters in the film, but also real life people in in, yeah. in our world. You know, it's just insane. Um, so, uh, Ernesto, I'll start with you. Final thoughts. Anything else you want to add about Forrest Gump? Um, I was really glad that I went back and that I had this opportunity to go back and rewatch it because I didn't realize how much I actually loved this film. Like, I remember, like, like really enjoying it and, like, really, really liking it. But I think now re-watching it as an adult, and plus I've watched so many other movies now, and I have, like, just, I have a better eye and a perspective for watching films. I was able to appreciate it a lot more now, and it's timeless. It's, like, it still holds up. Like, I I guarantee you in, like, 10 or 15 years, if if and when I go back and rewatch this film, I'll have the same feeling I had rewatching it for this Eric, what about you? Um, this is a movie that you could tell th- that everybody bought into it. Every, every, everything, you know, the actors really found a way to play the character the way that they felt it should be done, and it worked. And from this, you get a glimpse. You know, none of us were old enough to live in the Vietnam era, but you get a glimpse of what life was like. You get a glimpse of what life was like during, you know, when, when the civil rights movement was not going so great and when it started moving through and you get a glimpse of what that was like, the good and the bad of history, but you see it through his eyes. And I believe that's even how they marketed the movie was, you know, see the world through his eyes. And by doing that, you, as somebody who wasn't alive during these truly pivotal times in American history, you're you're still getting a glimpse. And it's doing it in such a way that it's not, certainly not a documentary form, but it's in a form of you feel like you were there through Forrest's eyes. And I think that that, Ernesto, to your credit, like you said, you can revisit this at any point. If it's playing on TBS, I'm stopping what I'm doing and finding a way to watch at least 10 minutes of it because it is so beautiful, everything... Right down to the way he explains when Lennon was shot, you know? Just the way that he kind of guides you through it, I I think it's a beautiful, unique story uh, that should never be remade. Leave it as it is, God. But they, funny you mentioned that. Well, they're not not a remake of this film. They're. They're uh, they're it's a they're having a foreign adaptation of the book Forrest Gump. It's a oh, it's interesting. A, it's a Hindu, I just I just saw it like uh, when we were doing prep for this. It, it's a, a Hindu film that it's going to be based off the 1986 book. I will watch oh. that. Yeah, definitely. That that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think you know this movie was treated with so much care, and especially with the behind the scenes and the passion that was all these creators and all these people, be the producers and and Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks, the passion they had for this project definitely shows within the work. And also, like, it's something that we we I don't think this film has ever been replicated before 
ever, like the amount of detail, and especially like him going through American history and for for him to literally be digitally inserted into yeah. these iconic scenes that we've seen throughout history, I feel like that just sets this movie apart. And it, and it's such a it's it's a sad story that like you just can't help but to root for him. It's just like it's so. It, and it makes sense of how it won all these awards at the end of the day. And for a project that people at at first, you know, throughout its nine years did not think it was going to do well. There was even a point where uh, the – I believe the Paramount – or Sony. Again, I forgot who – I think it was Paramount who, who run this movie. And she looked at the first dailies of this and she saw that Tom Hanks was the, uh, speaking the way he was. Like, we we can't have that. Tom Hanks can't talk like that. Um, <laughs> and it's crazy because they were trying to figure out how to use like – Tom Hanks was struggling with the voice he was going to use for this movie. Sure. And it wasn't and it wasn't until they they brought in the child actor that played young Forrest where this kid has never acted before ever and he just came in here and was kind of just being true to himself. Not he wasn't really acting. It was like almost like his voice and he and he was talking they're like that's that's the voice. That's the voice that we're going to use for this whole movie and Tom Hanks was then now he's like I am now the student. This kid is the teacher and he went to study him of how he wow. uses mannerisms so really just like how the movie how that you know wow. from young to growing up with that he was he learned all of Forrest Gump and the mannerisms and um and the voice was all credited to this kid who I don't believe is has ever acted before uh or how much smart. after that how crazy yeah it's just nuts and like there's just so much more on that it, this this film it's it's so beautiful and it, it just shows how like like everyone it's like once in a blue moon we're gonna get these types of movies it's i feel like it's hard to replicate what this movie brought and who i it's argued it's arguably to say that none no movie after this has ever done as much in the world or in cinema as much as 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 this film has yeah um and so to go off that, Rob, uh, Forrest Gump would be defined as Robert Zemeckis uh, would define Robert Zemeckis' career, having a worldwide box office success of over six hundred and seventy-eight million dollars, and wow. winner of six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Uh, this would end up being the only Academy Award that Robert Zemeckis would win through his very long film career. Um, from there, thus Robert Zemeckis. Thus, thus far, absolutely. Yeah, right. you make a good point there. Uh, from there, Robert Zemeckis would have a long film career directing other classics films like Contact with Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster, reteaming so with good. Tom Hanks. Yep. Reteaming with Tom Hanks for you know Castaway in the year 2000. So good. Another iconic film. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and and then pushing the boundaries with the first film to utilize the computer animation technique known as performing capture in the Polar Express in the year 2004 where the movements of the characters are captured digitally and used as the basis for the animation animated characters. I don't know about you guys, but for me the Polar Express is one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. And I know a lot of people get weirded out by the animation, but I actually really love it. It's very unique. I'm not sure about good. I think it's good. My wife is on the same boat as you. She absolutely loves that Polar Express. She yes. makes me watch it every year. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. I've good. never what? seen it. What? You, would, you, would, oh, you would, I, I know. Uh, Listen, I have a feeling that this Christmas season, it'll it'll pop on. Um, but you know, look, I mean... I. I, I I haven't seen it because listen that came out what year did that come out 2004 right so 2004 so I was I was 
starting my television career. I was that was the year that like a billion hurricanes hit Florida. I was very much a pup in the television business, putting in twenty. I worked like uh, this is no joke. I worked four months straight with no um, vacation days or Yikes. or weekend days during that year. Now, I, I, all to say, I wasn't watch. That was when I was not watching movies. I was face into doing television weather. So mm-hmm. yeah. And and now that my kids are you know to the point where this is going to come up, I'm sure that in the next few days I will watch that movie. Well, there, well, I think you're going to be in for a treat. I really enjoy it, the way that Robert Zemeckis was able to kind of take a, a children's classic into into you know cinema and like again like he was. For like your blockbuster action pieces, you have Back to the Future. For your hard-hitting dramas, you have Forrest Gump. And then for your Christmas classics, animated classics, he's given us The Polar Express. And it's such it's such a good movie. Um, uh, he would use that same technology to later create Beowulf in 2007 and A Christmas Carol in 2009, forming a partnership with Disney called Image Movers Digital to create these CG-created films. But on March of 2010, Zemeckis' biggest ally, former Disney chairman Dick Cook, had left the company and amid drastic cost-cutting by the management team, Disney announced that it was ending its relationship with Image Movers Digital. The studio's final film, 2011's Zemeckis-produced Mars Needs Moms, uh, became the second worst box offer failure in history, with Whoa. a net loss with a, with a net loss of roughly 130 million dollars. Yikes! Ooh. I've never yeah, heard of that you, movie. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's right. It's well, there. it lost a lot of money. It's there <laughs> if you want to go back and watch it. So, like, really after the Polar Express, he kind of just dived into animation, and I remember Beowulf being a little rough, and you know, a Christmas Carol didn't really garner the same success as the Polar Express. Um, maybe because you didn't have Tom Hanks in it and you have Jim Carrey. That's another conversation. And, um, and, uh, Listen, and you I can't hit it out of the park every time, you know? I know, I know. It's like, and again, with this lifelong career, you get your peaks and valleys. Yeah. Um, yeah, and even like Robert Zemeckis never directed Mars Needs Mom, but I know that that one definitely pushed the, the, pushed the, the boundaries of like Uncanny Valley. And so did Beowulf. You're like... I don't know if this is real. If we should be watching these movies, I don't. Yeah, this oh is like it was a little. It's a little weird. <laughs> a little weird. Yes. Um, Zemeckis would then make his return to live action filmmaking with Flight in 2012, starring Denzel Washington. Film. Absolutely. And then The Walk, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, following the true story of Philip Petet, I believe his name is, um, and his ambition to tightrope walk between the towers uh. of the World Trade Center. Philippe oh, wow. Petit, I think. Philippe Petit, thank you. I think I think um, I could be wrong, but I think that's how you pronounce it. That, that better guess than mine is. <laughs> I think so. Did you guys ever watch The Walk? I did. I saw it. Yeah. It was pretty good. Eric, I didn't. I didn't. N- no, no. It was. It was I, I can rec- I can recall the trailers though. Like I can recall seeing. Yeah. That. He's got like the he's got like that long stick and he's walking on that. Yeah. He's between the buildings. Yes, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it being a big deal because it was one of like. You know the movies, one of the few movies to incorporate the, t- the Twin Towers. Yep. Um, obviously, post 9/11, and um, and then Flight. Oh, Denzel Washington and Flight. That that was a good movie. That was yeah. a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the last few years, however, Zemeckis's most recent films would receive lukewarm receptions with 2016's Allied, starring Brad Pitt. 
2018's Welcome to Marwin, starring Steve Carell, and uh, his adaptation of Ronald Dahl's The Witches that premiered on HBO Max in 2020, all of which did not do very well. Um, I remember The Witches was a huge flop, and so was Allied, and Welcome to Marwin was like, the critics chewed that movie apart. And I remember watching the Marwin, Welcome to Marwin. It had such an interesting idea, but I, I, I agree that it was not the best execution. Um, the future, however, uh, looks a little bit brighter, as Zemeckis' next film would see him reunite with Tom Hanks uh, and with Disney to write and direct the live-action adaptation of Pinocchio. Oh, which is yeah. set to premiere on Disney Plus sometime in 2022. Uh, Tom Hanks is playing Geppetto. Um, Joseph, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, ret- uh, is playing um, uh, Jiminy Cricket. A, a, a new actor is playing Pinocchio. So that film has a lot of promise. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. What, uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on like him kind of taking the, you know, a live-action uh, adaptation of Pinocchio? They're doing it for every other movie, so it just makes <laughs> sense, right? It, but but you know you've got you've got a cast like that, and and you know Tom Hanks, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they're not going to sign on to a garbage dumpster fire, True. unless mm-hmm. the paycheck is just dramatic, and uh, you know. True. It is Disney. Disney, Disney doesn't do <laughs> Disney. Yeah, yeah, it's Disney. So. <laughs> I, I I I would think that you, there's room there. So you know. Yeah. Fingers but crossed. But I am I also guess. enjoying his TV work that he's doing. Yeah, he was an executive producer for uh, for Manifest. Which Manifest, I'm I'm going to be honest, if it, it aired, kind of disappeared. I I had seen a promo and I just remember thinking, oh, a flight goes missing. How can you do a whole TV series about it? And I kind of made fun of it in the back of my mind. And then I watched the pilot and my jaw was on the floor. And then I binged <laughs> the rest of it. Uh, and I got to the end. And now I guess Netflix picked it up for a, like a fourth and final season or something. Um, that is correct. And and all mm-hmm. I could think of is. Okay, this is this is this isn't garbage. This 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 is okay. This is an okay show. Yeah, and and I've heard like I, I always felt like I was never gonna get into it, but there's a lot of people backing it up. I and mean, you know you know producer Bridget at work, Eric, and she mm-hmm. loves yeah, she this loved show. It. So she yeah, it's a great show. I didn't want to love it, you know. <laughs> I really really didn't want to, but but it's it was very good, and I look forward to seeing what they do with it. Yeah, uh, Zemeckis was also an executive producer on Finch, the new Tom Hanks movie that's on Apple TV Plus at the oh. moment, which I had the pleasure of watching, and it was a really, a really good movie. I, I had very little issues with it. Um, he's also an executive producer for Medal of Honor um, and a lot of his other movies as well. He's also did um, a movie, a, a mini series called What If. I don't know exactly where that aired. But it was only ten episodes. It's on Netflix. And, it's on Netflix. Okay. It's um. The girl from Bridget Jones' Diary. Oh, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Renee what is Zellweger. her name? Renee Zellweger. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. uh, it was okay. Okay. <laughs> you can't hit them all out of the park, Ernesto. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Can't always be an A. <laughs> uh, he also worked on a. It looks like a movie from the History Channel or a series from the History Channel called uh, Project Blue Book. A tough U.S. Air Force officer and a skeptical scientist invest UFO and alien conspiracies as Cold War paranormal uh, uh, spreads. And hey, you so gotta he make money, on, man. You gotta put you gotta, money. Look, you gotta put food on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Kids gotta eat. <laughs> uh, and and lastly, uh, also on the horizon, Zemeckis is set to direct a film called The King, star mm. starring Dwayne Johnson, and follows the true story of King Kahimahi. 
he Kamehameha, uh, maybe. Kame- is it Kamehameha? I don't know. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> it's not what you're saying. I can tell you nope. that. Yeah. No, yeah, look. <laughs> Kamehameha. Yeah, Kamea. Yeah, Kamehameha. you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the king starring Dwayne out. Johnson that <laughs> follows the true story of King Kamehameha as he fulfills his life, lifelong prophecy of reuniting the uh, Hawaiian Islands. That seems like a really big budget film right Yeah. There. It seems like it's going to be good. Only because, like, there isn't the Ra- – I'm sorry, Dwayne Johnson. Isn't he from Hawaii? Is he? Yes, he is. He's yeah. like, he's, he is Hawaiian, so I guess he's got a lot. He's on quite a streak. I mean, he's, oh, he's yeah. doing very well for himself. He's a uh, A pluses every everything everything he's touched so far is, t- is turned to gold. Yeah, pretty Good. much. And like him working with Robert Zemeckis is like you know Dwayne Johnson is arguably one of the biggest movie stars right now, making the world. blockbuster hit after blockbuster right. hit. So like right. the fact that you have Robert Zemeckis, who's you know arguably he has not done a lot of action movies since. Since Back to the Future, it's a lot of dramas, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, his- historical pieces. Um, and then, you know, The Witches, that we're not going to talk about, but fantasy that he's went into as well. But, like, it would be interesting to see him kind of go back into, like, and, you know, and, and directed by Robert Zemeckis, the guy who brought you back to the future into, like, this big blockbuster movie that maybe this is the yeah, – yeah. he needs to go back into these types of movies. So. Um, as we kind of wrap up our conversation with Robert Zemeckis, after everything we said, Eric, we'll start with you. What are kind of your final thoughts on like him as a filmmaker? You know, it, it, at the end, you can tease and say that his, you know, there's there's been a little of this and a little of that. But I, I think I think that you have to measure somebody's body of work off of off of everything, right? Uh, and and you you have to you have to swing in order to hit it out of the park, right? And so sometimes. Things may not work out right. It may not work out perfectly. And it may be your fault. It may be other people's fault. But you've got to look at this man and look at what he has done and say, wow. You know, there's a lot of appetite today for content. So we're all putting out more content than we ever have before. And as such, you know, you're going to have more opportunity to have smaller budget, get it done, you know, or the studio notes or whatever and just get it done get it we need it to fill the void get it done you know so I, I i certainly can say the man has unbelievable talent and i cannot wait to see what else he does because um so many of his previous works have been just incredible and you also have to ask yourself of the things that you may say aren't you know forrest gump level what did he bring to the table? Because I bet you that he he probably brought some. Imagine what those bodies would have been without his his hands in there. Absolutely, and like it, it's yes, most recently his his success is not as big as his past work, but you can't deny that if he for whatever reason decided to stop making movies after Forrest Gump, like he already contributed so much to cinema by by, by that point. You know, like you, you can't argue that. Um, Ernesto, your your final thoughts on the, the Robert Zemeckis conversation? I mean, he's incredible. I mean, obviously, we've uh, look how long we've just been talking about his, yeah. his select his even just these are just a select few of his body work. Like we can go into a whole thing about Who Framed Roger Rabbit because that that movie is great in its own right. Like, it's incredible. The whole the whole mix of cartoon and live action to me for at least for me personally that was the first time I saw a cartoon and live action mix effectively. Who's ever done it effectively before that? I don't think anybody. But anyway, yes. 
and now it's it's common practice, you know, to have like these live action cartoon characters and of uh, these these animated cartoon characters in a live action setting. But at the time, that was really different. That was revolutionary. People and it work. wasn't a cheesy, goofy movie. That there was drama in that movie. No, it was like, real drama in that. Oh yeah, that's a great story. And then, and you also look at that movie and you see like Walt Disney presents Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And you're like, um, what? <laughs> 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 I mean, it gets it like, gets pretty dark. <laughs> it does. It's, it's dark. It's raunchy. Like, like, like. Yeah, baby Jessica... smoking cigarettes. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like Jessica Rabbit alone. It's like it's like it's like I was drawn this yeah, way. The like, dr- yes, red yes. dress. Yes, yeah, you yeah, were, babe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look at that and it's like brought to you by Walt Disney. He's like, really? Like, okay. Really? <laughs> Mickey wanted this. <laughs> Yeah, you sure? <laughs> and, and he was in it. Mickey was in it. He like, sure was. <laughs> he sure was. It's funny because, it, it, like, uh, on, a, on a completely side note, Mickey, I believe, like, the, the idea of having both Bugs Bunny and Mickey in the same scene, like, or having being in the same movie, uh, there right. was... Right. That was a huge big deal. But then I remember somewhere That's saying a big that between, deal. between the studios, there's, like, they have to have a, the same amount of screen time. So when you see Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny, they're always on the same. They're always oh. together in the same scene. Which Actually, I believe that. Like, always... is this a straight up nerd thing? Like, as a kid, I'm like, wait, those two shouldn't. I... What's going on here? Like, I recognize that as a flipping kid. Like, what a nerd thing to notice. Yeah, <laughs> like they they, they are they're, not. not they're mixing properties here. <laughs> what did that contract look like? You know. <laughs> How much did they have to pay just for both of them to be right here, right now? Seriously, <laughs> I can imagine the guy who was animating this scene, like all the executive heads were like around above him, is like, yeah, yeah, Don't, yeah, like, hey. like they set edge on his he's ear. He's not lit enough. He's not lit yeah. enough. <laughs> hey, did that next extra frame? Did they both leave the frame at the same time? All right, like, who came in first? Hey, Nobody walks out, watch, we cut away. No, <laughs> Bobby Z, our next double-double with cheese animal Bobby style, we're talking about this. Bobby Z. Bobby Z. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I mean, who frame, we, we, it was, we were very close to talking about who framed Roger Rabbit on this uh, this episode. But I feel like Back to the Future and Forrest Gump were more bigger parts in his career. Yeah. But no, yeah, nothing absolutely. left to be Nothing left to be said about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That was its own achievement, its own right. And also, just like before, Robert Zemeckis was always like – I remember reading an interview or watching another documentary. And like when he was <laughs> when he was in film school, a lot of people were like these – as the documentary quoted, like these snubby, artsy people who were like concerned about cinema back in the day, and like French cinema. And they're like, we weren't interested in talking about that. We wanted to know what was in the future. We were talking about James Bond and Die Hard – not Die Hard. I'm right, sorry. right, right, right. Um, James bond and uh, and dirty harry uh clint iswood movies and so like he was f- really focused on pushing the boundaries and you can't say that between back to the future who framed roger rabbit his his cgi uh, the image movers digital company when he was producing those animated movies that were pushing the boundaries of uncanny valley like yeah. you can't you you can't question that he has now, if maybe those movies might have been successful, the technologies that he was using back in the day, he paved the way for that stuff. He paved the way that Back to the Future was the the quintessential movie you watch during your summer. Like, Jaws might have started the summer blockbuster, but he amplified it 
like to yeah. it really it, to to an extent. And then also for not only and at the time like you know dramas for Oscars like th- those weren't like big blockbuster movies to be winning Oscars like that. I I feel like it wasn't until somewhere around or his his around his um his time and maybe Jaws as well. But like like that was a worldwide phenomenon. And and it was winning awards too. Like it, it took it took store. Like sometimes there's a difference between what audience connect to and what the critics connect to, and it's a very different. But this is the one movie that everybody connected with in a big bad yeah. way. And so and, and then there's Alan Silvestri also oh. putting down the notes. Exactly. Yes. In almost every one of his movies. Like I mean, for, Forrest Gump, they go. And it's so quiet, and you're like, they, I, and I will. Fluid. It's fluid. Yes, it is fluid. But even think about the 1940s era music that Sylvester threw in. We should do another one of these a year from now on Who oh. Framed Roger Rabbit. Together. You heard him, right? There's just too yeah. much. <laughs> you heard him, right? He said it. He said it. I mean, you have to ask. We just, we yeah. just locked in the next episode, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'd love to see what that contract looks like. <laughs> You mean we call you, you show up? <laughs> oh, that's a great contract. I'm in. You guys, you guys, you guys are good people. Oh, I really oh, appreciate shucks. it. Um, but yeah, Robert Zemeckis is just one hell of a filmmaker. I'm very looking forward to pretty much all of his future projects. And although, again, they might not be all hits, but he he brings something to film history that or film cinematic history that you can't deny that you know you got to pay the respect to the man. Like one of these days, he's gonna he's gonna go back. He's he's not done making movies yet. He no. has he's he has many more to come, and I can't wait to see what else he has in store after the twos he's already working on. Uh, so yes. yeah, now Eric, we're gonna toss it back over to you. That is our full conversation oh, on Robert Zemeckis. So now we're gonna toss over to you. We want to know more about you. You're like what what you, what's going on in your brain there? You're so a man of you're a man of many man talents. Of, Oh my God, is he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're we'll supposed start... to interview me, Johnny Carson. Go. <laughs> I will. <laughs> this is how the set works. <laughs> Let's start with uh, how did you get a start with uh, uh, into meteorology? So I grew up in Central Florida, and I was terrified uh, of those thunderstorms in the afternoons. I mean, I was so fascinated, like. The sky could be blue and quiet one day or one moment, and it just be hell on wheels the next moment. And I just, I, I look at my life and I find that I'm actually driven by fear, um, seriously. And and so my entire career kind of spark, sparked from that, um, just having to understand how it worked. It's like I was afraid to fly on airplanes, so I had to learn how to fly uh, airplanes. I, I was afraid of water, so I had to scuba dive. So yeah, so that's how. That's how I got into into meteorology. Well, that that's kind of interesting that you look at these fears that you have in your life and you looked at them as opportunities to overcome your fear. Like how many people can say, I'm afraid of flying, so I became a pilot. <laughs> well, but if you think about it, to me, knowledge is, is power, right? Absolutely. So when I, I remember being a child, we would fly continental from Orlando to Newark. And, you know, you'd see on the news, you know, this plane crashed and this plane crashed. You know, it, like back in the 80s, it was, you know, there were, safety wasn't quite what it is today. Um, and and so you'd hear about these crashes. And I just remember looking outside and being terrified of that big silver tube, right? And so you'd get inside and every noise or every bump you felt, it was, it, it was terrifying. And so I had to understand. And once I understood it... Once you understand it, 
there shouldn't be fear because you then have understanding. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, certainly but there are some people so. that are afraid. Right. I was going to say, certainly there are some people that run from fear. But to me, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I Everybody's crazy, right? In their own way, everybody's crazy. And they've got – that. it's kind of a beautiful thing. Like the two of you are so unique in your own right. And that's what makes you both beautiful and, and oh. annoying as oh. snot, but oh. beautiful, right? <laughs> but I'm not – I mean I'm not wrong, right? And and so everybody looks at things so differently and, and – it is always fun to talk movies, work with the two of you, and, and, and all all of these different subjects that we chat about because you bring such unique perspectives that I'm not going to have. Ernesto is not going to have the same as you, Matt. And so that's kind of what's neat about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. But it's funny because you said that you know you were afraid of these things, so you had to dive into. But what 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 was the turning point? Like I'm going to make this into a career. Like you could have been a pilot if you wanted to. So like yeah. why why not why not dive into you know. Uh, aviation and said you went to meteorology so growing up i it was always his name is danny trainer okay and growing up my mom would watch oprah and i would have you know like these heart palpitations because it would be you know destruction on wheels outside and oprah's interviewing whoever <laughs> and my mom was just locked in on oprah and in the 90s, let me tell you something, Danny Trainer was the weather guy of weather guys. And, you know, the funniest part is, like, he didn't go to school for meteorology, as so many did not back then. But he would pop on, and his presentation of doing the weather ties into the, our discussion about the movies. His presentation was just simple. He didn't overanalyze it. He just, if it was going to be bad, he was going to let you know, We're, you know, we've got this, but it's going to be bad. If it was going to be fine, he'd say, look, it's a little loud out there, but it'll be okay. And I feel like I got such comfort from listening to Danny Trainer talk that I wanted to be that guy. So my 13th birthday, the greatest birthday present anyone could ever give, my mother reached out to the television station and said, my son, and I, like looking at it, like they were really nice to her. She said, my son 13, mind you, my son is obsessed with weather and obsessed with what you do. Now, Danny Trainer had already left that television station at the time, but we were still watching it. And it's a competitor of ours now, which just makes the whole thing that much better. <laughs> um, but she, she reached out to them and they let us come in. So my 13th birthday, my mom blindfolds me, okay, and says, I'm not telling you where you're going. And we drive... And when we get there, I take the blindfold off and I'm at a television station. And it's like, holy crap. And we watched the newscasts in the studio. Wow. And and from there, I kept in touch with them, parlayed that into being an intern in high school. We talked about that. And then here we are today, 20 years later. More, you know, I've been in television, the television business for 20 years now. And now you've kind wow. of expanded that. You have this uh, this platform on Coffee Talk on Facebook. Like, how did that come about, and w how has that grown, and where do you kind of see it going in the future? It's kind of a loaded question. So, but yeah, well, so Facebook opened Facebook Live years ago, and I hated the idea of these weather people holding their cell phone in like a shaky, gross, unprofessional-looking manner doing weather, and I hated that. And one random day, they opened up the API so that you could broadcast a more professional setting. And I said, 
I'm in. Like I'm nerdy enough to know how to take this and maximize it. So as soon as they did that, I started doing Facebook Lives at work. And I didn't really, you know, it was so early in the game. You're just trying to figure it out. Throw crap against the wall and see what fits. And I, I remember we were doing this successfully at WESH. Um, and this one week in October, my wife and I had bought our first house. And there was a hurricane coming. And I remember the day we closed on the house, we got the internet installed, and this hurricane was looking like it was going to hit Florida as like a Category 5. And I just remember thinking, we had done so much work on Facebook Live, developing an audience, and nobody was there. And so I started doing these Facebook Live updates from my kitchen table at my house just because we had we had started this momentum and and my wife had said to me at the time like put on a polo and do your hair look presentable for god's sake <laughs> so thankful so, you have her <laughs> but wait so so after this hurricane hit i decided i was going to start doing these with my hair not done and wearing bummy clothes uh and just despite her of course and uh, and that that genuinely is how coffee talk started. Now I've since decided I probably should do my hair and wear better clothes, but, but for, for probably the first three years of doing daily Facebook lives, I looked like a wreck. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. It was, it was bad. Yeah. So that's how it started. But, uh, so how do you, what, what has been your biggest takeaway from coffee talk? Like what has been like, what has been the one moment you did coffee talk and like, wow, like I can't believe like I was able to achieve this or connect this way. You know, it's not at all the number of people that join. It's not at all the people. Um, the, it, I went into it thinking I was going to look at like weather data and just broadcast on Facebook Live because I look at weather data anyway, right? But relationships started forming, um, both with me and people that were joining and people between them. And it has become a much more intimate group than I ever, 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 ever imagined it. Um, and, you know, in the quiet season, you'll get, you know, hun a few hundred watching at a time. And over the course of the day, you'll get a few thousand, you know. During hurricane season, you'll have a few thousand watching it live. And you'll have tens of thousands or even uh, there have been times where there's hundreds of thousands that have watched it like over the course of the day. So there's a lot of people that are there. But the thing that's most surprising is the relationships. Now, just yesterday... Um, I learned that somebody that had joined us daily for Coffee Talk had passed away. Um, but we had an idea that something had happened because two or three days before, somebody had just, in happenstance, mentioned, hey, has anybody heard from Daryl? And it's like, no. Daryl comments every day. He says hello to everybody and, and this and that. And, and, and we learned last night that he had passed away suddenly. And, and, and it's, 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 it's terrible. But that's the part of coffee talk that strikes me. I, there, there was there was a woman that reached out to me the first time this happened, and she said, "Eric, I just want to let you know, I'm battling breast cancer." Um, and 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 you know, and and, and we had a, a very and I'm you know I'm not going to talk about like the details of it because it was a yeah. private conversation. It it was certainly there was nothing inappropriate, but but you know, yeah, she passed away. She passed away. Um, and and it's. That's the thing that surprised me. I thought that it was just going to be people coming and going wanting to get weather information, but these people are there day in and day out, and you know their names, and you get to know the kind of people they are because they're asking about a son's wedding or uh, you know, or their anniversary, and so you start to put 
people's lives together. And I love it because if television, I'm talking at you. Um, but with this Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all that where there's this interactivity, it rips the wall between us down. And it lets me talk to a person that maybe television wouldn't have allowed me to directly talk to. And you get to know these people and celebrate their life's joys and mourn or um, work through life's difficulties. There's There's been people that, that were going through struggles in life. Um, you know, when we talked to them and we tried to pick them up. And, and it sounds very preachy when I'm sitting here doing it now. But like in the moment when somebody sends one simple comment of, I'm really struggling, this happened, this happened, this happened, and we're all trying to pick that person up. And, and before you know it, there's people volunteering their own homes to give you a room to stay in. Or, you know, uh, I, I, I've Uber eats a meal to somebody because they just didn't know where they were going to get their next meal. And it's like, man, I, I can't let that happen. You know, it's become a community and it does give me this sense of good in people, which I think we are missing. I, I really do. And, and it gives me that every day. I do it seven days a week. I'm not on the job seven days a week. I'm on vacation while I'm sitting here talking to you guys. You're my friends. You know, this is fun. But I did coffee talk this morning because I get such a sense of community and such positivity every single day. That has blown me away. That's awesome. Man. Do you think that the – because of like – again, you said this started off by like you kind of just being – at your home, like you're not in, you're not, you're not in the office doing this. You're like, it's very right. personable experience that you're connecting with your, with your viewers. And, and I feel, it sounds like they're coming in less for the weather information and more for the fact that, you know, the, the personality that you're bringing to the table. Do you feel like that, that like, I mean, yes, you are providing information. Like, do you, do you see yourself talking less about actual weather and, and more about your, your, you know, what's going on in your community and maybe your own life or, or it kind of just flip box and forth between, between the two. Yeah, I think it flips and flops. I mean, if there's, if there's important weather, then, then it's, it's weather, right? Like if there's bad weather coming or whatever it is, it's weather. But like when we're in the quiet season, we get more lifestyle-y like on Fridays, uh, during the quiet season, I do a thing called the coffee talk drive through where we Skype uh, somebody in, they can put their name in, and 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 if and if the computer randomly picks them, they can come in, and then I get to interview them on Coffee Talk to get to know them a little bit more. Everybody else in Coffee Talk gets to know them a little bit more. They can interview me and and get to know me a little bit more. So I just think that it's we try to we try to read the room and see what you know, what's most important. If it's sunny, if it's a day like today where it's sunny, it's like, okay, we can, you know, we spent a good amount of time today uh, remembering Daryl and, and, and kind of reminiscing about his love for his wife. Every time he would talk about his life, he would, he would refer to his, his, the lovely, the lovely Guinea, which is his wife's name. And so oh, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of an, it, it's a, I always say you just never know when the train's going to fly off the tracks, right? Because we're here to talk about weather, but Frankly, we're here to talk about anything. It's it's driven by what the people ask, and and it's it really is a beautiful thing. I love it. Is the highlight of my day. My wife knows, man. You you don't get in between me and coffee talk. You just don't. <laughs> well, that's your you time. You get to connect with so many people, and uh, it just I get it, man. I totally understand. You get a room of friends that you didn't have, and what's neater, net like think about it. Like the three of us, we get a chance to work together. Would we have ever met each other? Maybe, maybe not. 
I love the fact that there's a reason that we got put together to be able to recognize each other and learn and, and, and make fun of each other and tease each <laughs> other and anything else. And I feel like that's the thing with this coffee talk, this Fakakta coffee talk, is it's putting people in a room that otherwise would have never found each other, but there are real friendships and real relationships that are coming together. Um, and when I started doing these live things, I always wondered if I was going to get that one creepy, crazy person that was going to do something stupid. I've not had it because at the end of the day, there is good in the world and, and, and the people that are there are, are just good people. Just like you, just like me, we're all just trying to get through the, the journey. That was going to be my next question. I was like, have you had any trolls or have had to deal with any trolls? Oh, yeah, yeah. There are trolls. Listen, I mean, there there are trolls. There are always trolls. Yes. Yeah. Especially during hurricane season. I mean, I've had, I've had, um, yeah, the, yes, yes. I've had trolls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do, do, you, do you feel like that, you know, because you, you made a good point of saying, like, when you're on TV, you're talking at them. They're like, you are yeah. literally in talk, you, you're talking to us, the people in the studio, as well as you are literally facing a camera and hoping someone's yeah. listening. And we know that yeah. someone's listening, but you get that yeah. almost, I mean, you, you get that immediate feedback when you are in coffee talk, do you feel like that your approach to weather is different of how you are yes. doing it on air and opposed to how you're doing it on, on coffee talk? Well, I would say yes, because you are dry. Like I'm, I always enter into coffee talk with kind of an idea of some storylines mm -hmm. that I'm going to talk about, like cold front weekend, hurricane, whatever long range, but people are going to start asking questions. And I think that coffee talk has influenced the way I do weather on TV because mm. if you think about the professional world in general, how do you know what your audience wants? You do these things called focus groups or right. You do test de you know, demo screenings, right? True. So yeah. without even thinking about it, coffee talk became a focus group. I'm not paying them. They're not paying me. Right. But it's this side thing that it does. So when everybody's asking like, Hurricane season, perfect example. I'm tracking a storm and it's looking like it might head toward us. But the questions people ask are not just where it's going. It's when could it be here? It could be random things that you say to yourself, wow, if eight people are asking this question, maybe I need to make a graphic about it on West True. 2 News, right? And so I, I always say, you know, there are so many times that there will be a subject brought up on Coffee Talk. Somebody's like, when was the last time this happened? Or always something stupid. And it's like, <laughs> you know what? That's going to, I will make a graphic about that. And and I would say that Coffee Talk absolutely has changed the way I do weather on TV. It drives the, 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 the way I tell stories now because people are asking the question. So there must be an appetite for that information. It, where would you like to see Coffee Talk go from here? Because how, yeah. how long have you been doing it for? Oh, for three years? Like five years. Five years. Wow. No, five. Five years. Wow. Seven days a week. Seven days Seven a week. Is, yeah. Man, so like, where, where do you want to see this go? Like, do you, yeah, seriously, uh, your dedication. Like, do you want to see, do you want to have more interactions with your with your viewers? Do you want to expand your reach and do some other things? Do you want like a variation of talking talk? Like, where, where do you want to see this I, grow? You know, I don't know. I mean, I it's, I never thought that it would be what it is. I mean, when I started Coffee Talk, there was like two or three people watching, right? And so at the beginning, there wasn't even this interaction. It was just me talking and, you know, people kind of pop in and pop out. And so I feel like I feel like Forrest Gump in that I'm just going to see where it goes. 
Um, you know, we've added the Coffee Talk drive through last year, which has been a really neat thing. Uh, you know, maybe we add uh, like a little more personality version where instead of Coffee Talk, where we're talking about weather, then we talk about instead, you know, another version is we talk just about life. You know, I, I don't know. There, there's so many opportunities. And I know, Ernesto, you and I have talked a ton about this. You know, about where that could go. So, so you know, trying to tell you for so long. <laughs> so we, you know, I, I don't know. I do know that at the moment, uh, being in the absolute weeds of parenting, um, I just don't have a ton of extra time. Um, and, right. And so I know that as my children get a little older, and you know, I've got a little more time to be able to dedicate to other projects. I certainly would love to expand that idea. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of fun. We'll just have to see where it goes. And Ernesto, I'll be—I'll have to bother you about that. You know? Always. You—you <laughs> you got my number, man. You—you you always can bother. You can always bother me. But you know, speaking of which, your—you know—your talents don't just extend to the weather world. Let, let's talk oh, about your—your uh, your, yeah. You already know your Disney-style projections that that you have on oh, your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, listen. <laughs> so I. <laughs> how do I? I don't even know what. How do I even talk about that? I don't know, man, Actually, but it's pretty know. amazing on how, how it came about. You, you've you got this video projector that does kind of like, – those who have been to Magic Kingdom will understand what I'm talking about. They He does like where they project images on the castle and they yeah. make a story. Eric has something similar at his house, and it is absolutely phenomenal that you built yourself. Yeah, so – Projection mapping is is where you map your house and 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 just like they do with the Magic Kingdom, uh, uh, you know, in Cinderella Castle. And and the idea is you can turn your house into a character. So for like for Christmas, I've got lights in my yard and 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 all that fun stuff. But I have a projector housing that I earth anchor in, so no schmuck comes and tries to steal the thing. <laughs> um, but it's 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 a it's a projector that I can send a video signal to my house and I've mapped my windows and everything on my house. And so it, it turns it into a, a whole projection style show. You know, I, I like to, I, how do I even say it? Like, I like to be extra, you know, is that silly? <laughs> we know. I'm not That's walking true. around. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not extra like wearing Gucci this and Prada that and, you know, Hugo bot. I like to be extra in, in, in ways that, you know, like Facebook Live, like I do it for the, you know, I do the coffee talk. It's not like it's even a technically a part of my job, you know, because I, I'm on vacation and I do it. I'm I'm on weekends and I do it. I do it because I just like to do more. I tweet on Facebook every flipping hour all day and it, <laughs> I'm not required to do that. So when it comes to the holidays, I saw how much my son last year loved Christmas lights. And so this year I'm like, I'm going to one up this. And uh, for, for, for the holiday, like he loves the Grinch. And so, like, I took and did a, a whole Grinch show, and 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 he's just, you know, and I did a, a Jimmy Cricket, uh, Jimmy, a Jiminy Cricket show where he can hear <laughs> Jiminy Cricket. And so, my son, every night we have to go outside and watch it, and and it's like that is why I did it, you know, that is why. But I think it, I, I don't even think it's your extra, you being extra. I just think, just kind of like. With everything about you, like you don't do anything half-ass. Like you do everything. If you do I everything like one hundred percent, yeah. But that, like, you really dive into your interests. Like you really, yeah. like you just, you know yourself. You know your intelligence, and you like to. It seems like you like to push your intelligence, not to your further your like too much where you can't handle, but like 
what can I do? Like, what what's to stop me? Yeah. Not everybody can look at that and be that is a massive task to undertake. Like, that's not an easy thing <laughs> to just do yourself. I mean, it may have been a little bit easier for you because you have a general understanding of how it sure. works, but not everybody has that and can look at that size of a task and be like, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and dedicate like the next three or four months of my life to try to build this. <laughs> you know what? It, but. I, I feel like you've got one shot at life. So Absolutely. first off, don't be a jerk. You know, do, you're not contributing to the world. But if you've got one shot at life, what is the term? A jack of all trades, but a master of none. Yes. Like mm-hmm. that. That is a term that I feel like reflects me. And I don't love the master of none part, but I do feel like I go through these chapters of life where I just try. Like, let's tackle this challenge, and then okay. Let's tackle this challenge. Okay, let's tackle. Like if you were to say to me, let's go scuba diving, I'd be like, well, I did that years ago. I need to kind of refresh myself. So I wouldn't say that I'm a master of none, but I would like to say that, you know, I like to, I'd like to learn as much as I can because look, at the end of the day, you know, if, if, and I tell my wife this all the time as, you know, assuming that I'm going to go before her, but I want, I want to I want to make sure that when it's when it's bye-bye time for me, I want her to stand up there and be like, damn, he lived life, man. Yeah. Like he, he flew and scuba dived and he turned our house into a projection show. And like, and God only knows what else is going to happen. Yeah. You know, I want that. I want, I want to know that my one shot at life, I did it the best I could. I was the best person I could, you know, and, and, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But, but, but I, I, I'm, I try to just do the everything that I can. And I think this really ties into the next thing I, kind of, I wanted to bring up to you, or we wanted to bring up to you, is kind of like your uh, your weight loss journey. You just went over, went yeah. under, you under underwent this massive surgery to to better to better your life. I mean, what what was the yeah. inspiration behind all that? So I was always the fat kid. Um, when I was interning in television, the the boss said to me, "There's no way you're ever going to be on TV," because I weighed 300 pounds basically. Uh, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, "The hell I won't," you know, like, <laughs> "Oh, challenge accepted, sir." Um, you know, and 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 20 years later, I've made it a career. But I was always the fat guy on TV. Um, and and look, if 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 television is a visual medium, which it is, I know for a fact that my weight has slowed down my career. In other words, it was harder for me to get my first job. It was harder for me to get another job. I To get my job at WESH, I had to be so good at forecasting because I knew that the looks, if you know, it's like a balloon. If the looks were crappy... Mm-hmm. And it was just based on any other merit. I had to, I had to hit that that level, and and so even through that, I never looked into the weight loss surgery. But in talking to doctors, I learned, I learned why I was, I was a big guy. Um, and it was, I mean, look, I could, I could eat like anybody else, but I wasn't the guy that snuck three cheeseburgers in between meals. I didn't. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I would, I would eat as much as my wife or a little bit more. And she's, she's no big, you know, she's no morbidly obese person. Um, you know, so, and I would eat just about the same as her. So I learned more about my body and it was, you know, having children. So 
I'm learning about my body and these problems that I have as I've got children to run around and I'm exhausted because I'm a parent, but I'm exhausted because I'm a morbidly obese parent. And the doctor basically laid it out and said, um, so you've got this condition uh, with your pancreas and when it decides to stop, you're going to go diabetic and hard. And women can sometimes kind of key in on this and, 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 and you know, you can work on it. Men are usually a little more ignorant to their bodies and uh, don't. And he's basically like, you're going to lose limbs. And as soon as he starts saying that to me, I'm like, okay, well, that's just not going to work. I'm 37 years old. I have two children. I have a loving wife. There's too much to live for. And so, you know, the surgery is on the table. It's an opportunity to, um, it's an opportunity to, to correct that problem with my pancreas. It's, a, it's an opportunity to extend my life theoretically. And, uh, so it's like, all right, dude, sign me up. Um, you know, and, and I do look at this as a second chance at life. I really, really do. That's awesome, man. The, Eric, you, you made a lot of, uh, you talked about a lot. Uh, this, I mean, you're listening to all of it. Um, but Sorry. It, it sounds like you, <laughs> that's what we wanted. That's what we wanted. You're, yeah. we you're want random you mouth, man. <laughs> no, no, that, that's a good thing, though. Um, but I, it sounds like that you made a lot of interesting points, at least with parallels that what I've been I've been hearing is like you said that you like especially with you know changing your life with your weight loss journey or just like doing something new. I mean, weight loss is was obviously a personal journey that you know this needed to happen to better your career, but also is the the um, the ingenuity that you know you need to move forward. And, yeah. and so, or to do something else, like with the house projection thing, you said that you wanted to do something else and you want to have a life that, you know, you say you, you, you're able to do a thing. You said you were afraid of flying. So you, you, so you flew yeah. planes. You said you were afraid of, you know, in the water. So you be, you know, you learn how to scuba dive. And so with all of that mixed into there, it, it, it just sounds like that, you know, whatever that comes your way, you want to just either better at it or just like, well, why not? Why not learn these things? Uh, another thing yeah. that uh, I, if you don't mind talking about is that one of the things that I've never seen any other meteorologist do before is now there that I ask, because I've heard a lot about this already, your long range forecasting. Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and so like the fact that you are kind of just like you, I haven't heard anybody else like lead the charge on that. It feels like you're leading the charge on this of like, there's something there that I don't see any other yeah. meteorologist doing. So instead of just being like, well, since no one else is doing it, I guess it might not be important. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go out there and be like, well, let's look <laughs> into it and see if this is something that should be explored. And that's the same thing I feel like yeah. you've been doing your entire life. It's like, well, I want to do a house projection. So like, why not right, just try right. it? So, uh, and yeah. so like, how hard is it? How hard is it? How hard is it going to be? So like, what pushed you to like, want to explore that side of your career that no one else was doing before? So I work with 26 different TV stations in our company. I do graphics for every television station in the company. And, you know, you become friends with certain people that you work with on a regular basis, even if you've only met them several times or no times in person. And there was a meteorologist in Savannah. Um, Jeremy Nelson is his name. And uh, he and I became friends outside of just doing graphical work. He and I became friends. And he started... He does, he does this long range forecasting. He learned it in Kansas City. Um, and, and so he started trying to show it to me and I just thought it was crazy. And I will always say I'm smart enough 
to know when I should be doing something, but I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. Does that make sense? Like, so like I'm not smart enough to have figured out the long range forecasting, but I am smart enough to see it and learn it and do it. Right. Uh, and so he, what, what Jeremy would do, and this is a few years ago is Jeremy would say in like February, March or April, he'd be like, I'm going to give you some dates. I just want you to schedule them on your calendar and that's it. I just want you to circle them on your calendar. And I'd say, okay. And so I'd start circling these dates and I didn't even realize because it would be four months, five, six months later, I didn't even think about it. And so what would happen is I'd circle them months go by and he would then send me a text message and be like, Hey, you see how weather's really crappy by you today? I said, yeah. He said, go look at your calendar. Circle date. What? A couple months would go by. Hey, you see the weather's really crappy by you? Yeah. Look at your calendar. Okay. You have my attention, sir. You know? <laughs> and, and so a, a, after doing that, I think for like one year, I said, okay, you have to start teaching this to me. And I start doing it completely by myself, never telling a soul for like another year. Now, in my entire career and my entire life, I am always that guy that goes against the grain, right? So, okay, now this is last year. I'm making a long range forecast. Coffee talk, I do whatever the heck I want to do. So I'm talking about it, no big problem. I want to do the WESH 2021 hurricane forecast. Well, to call it that and to do it on TV, you need the boss. Imagine if you've had a career of being a news manager and nobody's ever come at you with this. And then all of a sudden, you're, you know, chubby weather guys coming at you saying, hey, boss, I know it's February, but I can tell you where and when tropical systems are going to strike. She had no flipping idea how to even answer that. (laughs) She's like, I am very uncomfortable with this. And it took days and days and days to talk to her about it. And she finally said, if you can convince our chief meteorologist that it's decent, I'll go along with it. She was not sold at all. And so then my attention goes to our chief meteorologist. Now, I should I should preface by saying most people that I talk to in my profession think I'm insane. Most people think this is a absolute farce. I don't want to even say most. I, w- I would say many. A lot of people are open to the idea, but there's a lot of people, including my mentor, who thinks I'm insane for doing this. So I had to go to Tony, who wasn't, Tony didn't think I was insane, but Tony wanted to analyze it being a, a, a meteorologist. Tony is our chief, if, if, you, if you don't know. So I had to sit there and case study. And so I said to Tony, Hurricane Charlie was a bad storm here in Central Florida. I said to Tony, all right, Hurricane Charlie hit August 13th, 2004. What if I could show you the year before a signal of Hurricane Charlie and watch it repeat over and over and over again before the hurricane. And he said, well, if you could do that, then I would, I'd be fine with this. So I pulled out my phone and I started doing the, the digging and I found, and, and I don't know how quickly I could pull this up right now. Not that anybody would see my phone, but so I could get the <laughs> dates. Um, but okay. Give me two seconds because this is, it's more empirical sounding if I've got dates. Hold on. LRC case study. Okay. So Hurricane Charlie hit August 13th, 2004. I went back and I said, all right, found it, Tony. And he's like, wait, what? 
I said, November 3rd, 2003. Look, you see that storm system in southwest Florida? And he said, yeah. I said, all right, if I can extrapolate dates here, I could find it happening over and over again. December 10th, 2003, storm system southwest Florida. January 20th, 2004, storm system. March 2nd, 2000. You get the idea, right? So I showed it to him happening over and over. It wasn't a hurricane, but it was happening over and over again. Then he said, well, wait a minute. Did it happen afterwards? So I said, all right, let's add 45 days to Hurricane Charlie. Boom, Hurricane Gene to the day. And so he kind of said, okay, I'm sold. Like, you do it. And so the boss said to me, I really hope that I find you in my office next year and you and I can have the conversation about how you got it right. And I looked right in the eye and said, (laughs) me too. (laughs) Out of all the storms that hit last year, Listen to this. Out of all the storms that hit last year, we accurately predicted 70% of them, not just where, but to the week, where and when, 70%. And the others that were outside of that 70%, the failure was on me. It wasn't on the science. The science showed them there. I just didn't forecast it on my own, but the data was there. Yeah, 70%. That's incredible. That's, that's crazy. That's insane. And, and uh, I've, I've heard this story before, but I know that you are very passionate about this long-range forecasting, And but, but the data is there. Like you were saying, the data proves that this is an actual thing and, and quite frankly, yeah. could change the way how you kind of do your job in the future. And speaking of which, Eric, where do you want to see yourself? Because not only, I mean, we've talked a lot about other things you've been doing. We barely dabbled into the fact that you are making all of these graphics for different news stations around right. around the country. Like, where, where do you see yourself wanting to do next in form of either talk, coffee talk or new experiences you want to do or like keep furthering your career in meteorology? Like, where do you see Eric Burris in like, say, like five or 10 years? I, I think that I've got the home to do everything I want to do. You know, I'm in central Florida. Um, this is my home community. Uh, I, my desire is to, to, to be a part of this community and do my job for the rest of my career. Um, what that's going to look like, I don't know. Like over the summer, uh, and, and I'll say this and I'm, I'm going to just broach the subject. Like I was approached about a very large job opportunity that would have taken me from central Florida. And I was not excited about it. I listened and kind of went through and just found out what it was. It was not a good fit. So all fine. Uh, so I, you know, I'm always open to those opportunities, but my desire is to remain in this community. I grew up here. My children, um, you know, are being raised here. I'm, I love it here. Um, but I do think that the neat thing is, especially with the way technology is going, um, I don't know where I see myself other than doing some form of what I'm doing today, you know, is, is helping the community understand weather, this long-range forecasting uh, came in like a sidewinder missile, so we'll just see where it goes and 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 go from there. But I I love love my job, you know. And I told Tony all I need is like five years that that I just need to have five years of working out, you know. Basically, just pick my make sure that he retires five years before I do. Is, <laughs> just to get it, just to get that, time, just to get it in before you go just, out. <laughs> just, just to get it in before I go out. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, truth be told, I don't need to be like a celebrity. I don't need to be the chief meteorologist unless you're the boss listening, then darn straight. I do. Uh, but, but you know, I, I love telling weather stories and, uh, and, and so, 
I think that I've found my home for it. It's just a matter of what that looks like through time. I'm going to float like the feather and, and see where the journey takes me. Oh, there you go. Bringing it back around. I love it. <laughs> so when, when did, what year did you start at WESH? At WESH, I started part-time in 2007, uh, full-time in 2012. So I'm going on my I'm going on my 10-year anniversary at WESH. 16 years with the company, 20 in the business. So what's weird is that when I moved to Orlando in 2008, when I turned on the TV, you were the first thing I saw. How weird is that? Shut up. No yeah. way. I was in my Disney California housing, oh and because my, my mom, we, they love my parents love to watch the news. So we were moving in and turned on the TV, and there you were. Oh my God, that's funny. I didn't know that until now. Yeah, and I mean, and just throughout the years, like even before, like I'm gonna be honest, like one of the first time I met you, I go, wow, I remember watching him oh, on Jesus. TV. Like I see, that's crazy. I want to, I want to. <laughs> now, what, now, what years were you at WPBF in South Florida? So I was at WPBF in South Florida from 2006 to 2012, but there were there was that period in like 0708 where I was doing. Wesh Both. and WPBF and and sidebar like our company is Hearst Television, uh, but back then it was not. It was Hearst Argyle Television with every station but WPBF. So I remember as I'm filling in at Wesh, they're like, we have to pay from Hearst Corporation to Hearst Argyle Tele. Like I, it was like I've lived my life in such this gray area that right <laughs> down to filling in at another station, they're like, we have to go all the way up. And out of the company to go down to the other company to pay you for your WESH hours. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Eric, for anyone who is listening and wants to pursue maybe in a career of meteorology or anything that you want to kind of give out, like as far as advice goes, what yeah. do you have to tell people to either pursuing in a, maybe a line of work in television or, or digital media or anything you want to advise? What would you tell them? Be Robert Zemeckis. Do not... <laughs> Take no for an answer. I didn't have the grades, the 4.0 needed to get the executive internship in high school, and I fought that and fought that. I was the 300-pound guy trying to get into television, was told I had no future in it, and I fought that. And I knew that I needed to do this. I had bosses and people say, you're never going to be successful, and maybe I'm not successful, but I don't care because I'm, I am in my life. I fight it. If you want it, you fight it and you take you take only yes for an answer. And if you have any desire to do meteorology, send me an email, shoot me a tweet, uh, hit me up on Facebook because I'll talk to you. I'll tell you everything that there is about television. I'll tell you the good. I'll tell you the bad. But you know what? If you want to do it, ignore the bad because you'll learn it eventually anyway, but it's not going to stop you. You know? True. There's bad in everything. Just because there's bad in raising children doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Just because that, you know, being in a marriage is hard doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Ignore it, do it, and you're going to work through it. Man of many words. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, where can – you mentioned Sorry. it. Where can people find you if they do want to reach out and, like, uh, through social media? Um, Twitter is at Eric Burris Wesh. Facebook is Meteorologist Eric Burris. YouTube is Eric Burris Weather. Don't you have a TikTok now? I do have a TikTok. <laughs> hey, so that that one you did about taking out the trash was actually pretty funny. That was a good one. I have to you like that? that? That was a good one. That was good. I got to give you so credit. I I just put I put a hoodie on that morning because it was cold as hell, and my wife's like, "You look like Eminem," and I was like, "There's my next TikTok." <laughs> 
Eric's but I like, haven't I don't know why you're going to mention the TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, That's a, I'm not going to put... Your TikTok, is, <laughs> your, your TikTok is a very new thing you got going on there, but it's funny. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, it was good. <laughs> if, if I can come up with good ideas, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, you know. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, before we let you go, we have one more question to ask you. I'll let Ernesto do the honors. Even though, even though I, th- I think you kind of answered it before, but I want to see what your maybe what your definitive answer is on what your favorite film is. <laughs> Ever. Of all it's, time. It's, it's it is Forrest Gump. film of all time is Forrest Gump. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, I mean, like I could, I could go down a rabbit hole talking about Midnight Cowboy or Lost in Translation, mm. but but mm. yeah, I, it's 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 Forrest Gump. I think cover to cover, that's it. Awesome. I mean, well, I'm glad we were able to talk about it today as far as your favorite movies are concerned. <laughs> so if you don't remember um, why, just rewind. And then you can listen to it. Six hours earlier, that's what we were discussing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, wow, this is a long time coming. Thank you Thanks, very man. much for joining us this week. Thank uh, you. Man, we, we covered a lot of content today, guys. You can't, you can't say that we gave you a lot of show <laughs> this time around. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd like to thank Eric Burrs for joining us this week and everything that you've contributed. Congratulations on your you know, t- uh, coffee talk and you know, what, you're, what you're doing for meteorology. And uh, we just hope that we love working with you. And I know we tease you all the time. And I know that, at least me personally, I never give you the easiest of times. But Same. It, 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 all, it all comes out of love. That's, that's what we got to say. I think it's our love. I think it's our love language, though. Yeah. I don't know. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I only do it because I actually like you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ditto. You. You know how you can tell if I don't like you if I'm not beating you up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like literally every time we don't even say hi anymore. We're just like Eric. Nah. Matthew. Ernesto. <laughs> yeah. It's just such like a girl, like uh like uh. a grown approach is like this guy again. <laughs> Why do you keep but coming it's, here? It's, like, well, they... <laughs> the best is when when somebody new comes into the, like an anchor, a new anchor, or somebody that has never uh, observed this, and they're like, yeah. "What am I walking into?" And they have no so idea mean. that it's oh, it's just another Tuesday. It's okay. Yeah. Like, do, do I need to call HR? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You guys don't seem okay over there. Yeah. No, we're actually best friends. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually it's super fine. It's okay. Like, this is our love language. I, I, <laughs> I, I think one of, my, one of my favorite moments is it's fairly recent is when we decided to do one full hour of being completely nice to each other. And Sonico yes! was absolutely uncomfortable with every minute. We were overly Whatever. nice. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> The best is that – so because I feel like each of us have this need to be mean to each other as a term of right. endearment. And so even when we were trying to be nice, you screwed it up and you started to be a jerk again. And it's like, no, 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 you've got to be nice. You've got to be nice. Come on, Matt. You're messing it up again. again. Can you do no right? Yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> if you know anything, you know that it, something's going to get screwed up along this. That's why he has Megan. Oh. That's why, that's, yeah, well, that's true. Megan, that's yeah, true. That's very true. She keeps me grounded. <laughs> um, Speaking but, of doing but, right, this has gone on almost as long as the epic Titanic. <laughs> well, we told yes, you. We told you. We, Strap we in. Told you this and you, and, this be a longer... and I'm sorry, who did most of the talking today? Hold on. Yeah. Let, let's, let's recap. I'm pretty sure it was you. <laughs> 
You could have gave us short answers, but you were determined as the person that you are. I'm to give sorry. Us the full, I'm you have nothing to be sorry about. And you know what's funny? I could tell that you were like, like still kind of like holding back. He's like, I don't want to say too much. I could tell. I could sense a little bit of that from you. And this is and look, this is you holding back. Yeah, no, no, you could go a lot further than that. We've seen. Oh yes. This, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this is a tamed Eric Burris, but it's close. We haven't no, seen. No, I'll say Eric it. This Burris. is a tamed Eric. <laughs> We like Tame Derek. I love it. Tame Derek Burr. I love it. Too. Next I, time we get Eric Burr's after don't, dark. You, you just don't want the Eric Burr's after dark. That's all you know. No, no, we don't. No. Uh, after coffee talk. Oh, man. Oh, this the was espresso shot after. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this was a lot of fun. Eric, I'm glad we were able to make this work. There's a long time coming. I'm glad we were able me to make too. this work. Thank you. Thank you oh, for man, having if you me. Want, yes, if you want more from us, you can always hit us up on our social media channels on Instagram at boxoffice underscore binges, where we give you movie showdown on Mondays and new to stream Fridays, as well as our latest reviews and other movie fun that we put on there. As if you want more news, you can always go to our fis, uh, Facebook page at box office binges. And for fun, we have also a TikTok channel, uh, uh, Ernesto, that Dear is God. at box office bingers the fun never ends here even though we're having so much fun right now it always continues over on our social media page uh next week for those who are keeping up with this show week to week we are diving into oh man it's time it's time the, our last the show of the year <laughs> last show of the year this is our bonus episode and we really thank eric for coming on but next year we are closing out the year of 2021 with spider-man no way Home, the long anticipated sequel to this franchise. Oh, Ernesto, I can't wait. I can't wait for this movie. It's so exciting. It's going to be amazing. So it's going to be amazing. Uh, total so, nerd. So you don't want to. No, but we're nerding out so hard right now. If you thought we were nerding out here over Back to the Future and Forrest Gump and Robert Zemeckis, you don't have no idea what's coming out in the coming next week. <laughs> Hopefully, so, all good things. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I know, right? Can you imagine we go next week and, like, so we have some bad news to tell everybody? So, yeah, the movie was garbage. I don't think it is. I don't think it will be, but there's always that. No, fear. no, there's no way. No way that it can be. So, you're not going to want to miss our last episode of the year. Come back next week for all that fun. Again, we'd like to thank Eric for joining us on this special episode of Box Office Bingers. And thank you for uh, uh, for opening the door to getting a glimpse of, you know, the, the your, your mind and your career and stuff like that. Thank you for having me, you guys. No problem. And for if you want, uh, and for that, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. Ben Ernesto Santos. See ya.